most humble people in the world. It seems like all the leaders who have who who really are able to influence someone positively all have the same traits. It doesn't matter what profession it is. It could be firefighting, it could be policing, it could be the military. They're all very similar, and that's the ability to be humble. I, I'm not saying jujitsu is is the way, right? But I think it's the way. <laughs> but um, I'm not saying that's the only way, right? Um, for policing and for soldiering, you know, I would much rather have a cop or another agent that I'm working with somewhere. If someone starts fighting with us, take someone down, put them in a Kimura, put the handcuffs on them, and it's and it's it's not even worth even filming it. Hello, everyone. And welcome to The Handbook, your guide to life, leadership, and health. I'm your host, Gene Reed. That quote you just heard, that is our guest for episode number six, Mr. Brian Grant. He's currently the company commander of the 153rd MP Company for the Delaware Army National Guard. We had a great time. Talked about leadership, jujitsu. Brian's got a lot of great stories he told from his time with the county police. So we had a great time. I hope you guys enjoy. If you haven't already, uh, head on over to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit subscribe so you can stay up to date on all future episodes. And as always, if you learn something, share something. All right, you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. All right, Brian Grant, uh, thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. So, like I said, you got too much shit going on for me to not just start in a chronological order with you because... We're going to start talking about stuff, and it's not going to make any sense to the people listening. So, Got it. Uh, grew up in Northeast Philly? Correct. Where'd you go to high school? Archbishop Ryan. Did you play sports? I did. I played uh, football my I played football all the way up to eighth grade, and then uh, ninth to tenth grade, I played football. And then after that, I, I think my uh, anybody who's ever worked with me before will, will attest to this, that sometimes my mouth will get me in trouble. And I believe uh, my junior year... Um, my mouth may have got me into some some sort of trouble, right? And uh, that pretty much ended my football career. Uh, okay. Did yeah. you play anything else? No, it was pretty much just football. Um, yeah, and then uh, just you know, worked out stuff like that, just regular regular stuff kids do. Yeah. Do you have any siblings? Uh, well, it's funny you say that. So uh, I was raised by my mother, just sing- single mom in Philadelphia. My father was pretty much like a Rolling Stone. He uh, he had many kids uh, all over the place. I have um, I have a, a half brother who I who I'm close with who's actually a, a a master chief in the navy down in Jacksonville, very successful uh, corpsman. Uh, if you know anything about anybody knows anything about the the navy and the corpsman, he's a independent duty corpsman, um, and he's had a, he's had a real good career. So I, I keep in touch with him. We pretty much have the same almost the same exact life. We married our um, I married my high school sweetheart. I know he married uh, his wife like right right after he got in the navy. And uh, we have two kids, which are essentially the same age. So, um, and we actually have a lot of the same values. And uh, he once said it was his moral compass. I think it's because being re- growing up without a father figure, you know, or actually a steady father figure in my life, you know, that's why I, I, I am the way I am with my kids now. Yeah, sure. And 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 his name's Chris. Chris is the pretty much the same way. I got you. All right. So you graduated high school. Uh, did you go to college after that? Yeah. So I did. Um, I did like a year at Temple. And uh, wasn't exact college wasn't exactly for me at that time, and I always wanted to. Uh, my grandfather was in the army, World War II. Uh, you know, was like was captured at the Battle of the Bulge, escaped. The guy had a pretty pretty interesting um, army story for being a soldier during World War II. And I I knew I wanted to 
serve some do some type of service. I know I wanted to be a cop. Uh, living in Philadelphia at the time, I knew that Philly police gave you ten extra points on your test if you if you had a DD two fourteen and you got a DD two fourteen when you graduated basic training. So I decided I was going to uh, join the Army Reserve, join the Military Police Corps. Figured that'd be something I could put down on a resume. It would give me my extra ten points in the Philly police test. Sure. And uh, joined. Uh, joined the Army, left in May of 95, and went to Fort McClellan, which is uh, which was the home of the MP Corps. Now it's Fort Leonard Wood. Let me ask you about Temple. So was Temple then what it is now? I mean, Temple's a very prestigious school for the most part. I mean, was that difficult to get into? Yeah, I think I was in there on their, like, the uh, we'll give you a chance program, <laughs> you know? Um <laughs> I wasn't exact. I, I don't think I was able to declare a major. I think that's like the kind of the program I was in, okay. you know. Um, yeah. So I, I went there for a year. I was like, hey, I just gotta, I gotta do something else. You yeah, know, I have to try something else. So that's and that's when I joined the reserves. Right. And everything worked out great. And shortly thereafter, um, Bosnia was kicking off. So uh, I volunteered to go with a, with a unit out of West Virginia over to. Um, we thought we were going to Bosnia. We ended up just going to Germany, mm. which was. You know, a lot of fun. Got to go over to uh, Europe and do garrison law enforcement with the uh, over in Mannheim, Germany, for a year, and got to work at the Polizei. Uh, got to experience garrison law enforcement or just like you know civilian type style law enforcement. Right. And, uh, and I knew I'd made the right decision because I know okay, this is what I really want to do. You know, and shortly thereafter, got home and uh, started going to Community College of Philadelphia. Uh, that was more my speed at that time, you know, to taking criminal justice classes, uh, working towards my 60 credits. Just wanted to kind of get 60 credits so I could apply to police departments and uh, took the Philly test. Um, did real well on the Philly test. And I took the county police test because a friend of mine's sister was dating uh, a McCafferty. And Seamus McCafferty was the Eagles judge back in the day. Right. Um that was real famous, like you know, when the vet when they have like they'd have like the courthouse in the basement of the vet, and uh, his son, who I went to high school with, uh, was a, was a county police officer. Came down here and became a county police officer, and uh, so my buddy's like, hey, you know, McCafferty's down there, you know, uh, he's a county cop. You should take that test. So I took the test, and luckily that was the year the uh, the Biden public safety community policing bill was written. So the county basically got like a whole bunch of money, and they had to hire people real quick. Yeah, and. Uh, I think from test to like starting the academy was like, like no lie, like five months. No shit. So I ended up coming down here and while I was in the academy, here I got the offer for Philly, <laughs> you know, Murphy's Law. You know, I'm yeah. like, ah, I'm already down here and actually I, I, I figured this would probably be a better place to Let me ask you this. Career. You worked for Wildwood too at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, in between. How old were you when you started that? Uh, Wildwood, I was uh, 22. I was a, yeah, I went, so same kind of thing that you did, the, yep. the class two program, mm-hmm. you go to that eight week academy. Which, Listen, which, let me ask you this. What, yeah. What'd you think of that academy? The academy yeah. was absolutely no joke. I mean, right? uh, that, the, yeah, absolutely. The, the, uh, the physical fitness portion of it was, was brutal. We had kids that were leaving in ambulances. All right. Listen, I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that because when I went through, it was the same way. That was the first, I was 18. That, that was the right. first academy I ever went to, but that was no joke. No joke. No joke. From gl- fighting, like, you know, like boxing every day. Yes. Um, fighting every day. Who ran that um, academy for you? Do you remember? It was uh, uh, Sergeant Kenny from, oh, so I had uh, Trossel from, I think it was Ocean City. Yeah. And Kenny was Sea Isle. 
Kenny was like, a, both of them were, were, and you know, at that age, I was think I was like 22. I they looked like giants to me back then. Oh yeah, just like, you know, they were both like bodybuilders. And uh, Kenny played the bagpipes. I just thought he was like the coolest guy in the world. And he he loved he loved to fight. Yep. And you would fight every day there. And uh, PT was. I don't think I don't think they liked to end PT until someone was either on an IV or being taken away in an ambulance. Yep. Yeah, it was no joke. I'm not going to say any names, but we went on a run one time. Uh, there's a couple people that I work with at the county now that were in the academy with me. Uh, a guy passed out and peed himself. Yeah. I and they said, keep keep going. Yes. And we're like, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we had a guy very similar who passed out and uh, we ran around him um, chanting something. I forget what it was. I, th- I think I remember what it was, but I'm not going to say it. But we were just basically running around him until the ambulance got there. Yep. Um, do you know Do you know who I worked with in Wildwood? No. Who I ended up... It's kind of an interesting story uh so lieutenant polk seth no way oh i forgot that's right he did live there yeah so we went to um we went to the academy together as well here at the county seth already had a year on at wildwood when i got there and uh big time lieutenant now oh yeah yeah i mean listen seth for, for my county career seth was with me the entire way like i walk into um you know the night when everybody gets hired you get to come in to meet your classmates and everybody's in the it was at the building and uh, I walk in, I see Seth Polk. I'm like, what are you doing here? He says, uh, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm going to work here. So am I. Great. At least I know somebody. And then we ended up, uh, we were good friends. And then we went, we worked 31 sector together. And uh, and then we went in CIU together. And we worked in CIU together up till, well, I've had like six months before I left to go to Army CID after I left the county. But um, Seth was always, um, he was like my, uh, like yin and yang. Like I was always the one who had like, the great ideas, and then Seth would be like, "I think you need to re- <laughs> rethink that." Seth is a very um, calculated, very smart man. He you is. know, and uh, as a as a twenty four year old rookie, uh, I probably had a lot of ideas that probably weren't the best ideas. I probably could have made some great arrests when I was doing them, but uh, you know, like, hey, I'm going to put this this overcoat on, and I'm going to walk through Manor Park at two in the morning and see if anybody tries to sell me dope, and then you, I'll call you and you come arrest them. And Seth would be like, "I think we need to run that by our supervisor first. So. Yeah. You know, he was always the guy that probably kept kept me out of trouble when I was a, a younger officer. So yeah, I had a uh, not similar, but so when I came over, um, I went through like an abbreviated academy because uh, I was a pre hire. But one of the guys who is on the job now, he used to work at Temple. Um, but that's he was similar to you, like had these great ideas, and I was always kind of like, "Hey, man, why don't we just think about this for a second? So we were good, yin and yang. Yeah, that's great ideas, meaning really bad ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They sound good in the time. but Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about real quick your time at the county. Yeah. Um, you eventually got into CIU. Yes, yeah. Went into CIU, worked up. Uh, you start? Did you, uh, did you start in drugs or burglary? No, burglary. Yeah, oh, okay. and I, I worked uh, for Gary Worthy. I don't know if you ever met Gary Worthy before, but he was- I know uh, the name. I didn't in, meet him. In my opinion, he's pro- he is without a doubt the best cop, uh, best investigator- um, I've ever had the chance to work. I mean, every day I went to work, I learned something from Gary Worthy. Yeah, and very similar to Seth, Gary Worthy knew my uh, knew my positives and my negatives, and was able to channel my 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 energy in the right direction to uh, have uh, positive outcomes. It's a solid uh, leadership quality, I'd say. He uh, Gary, so uh, Phil, you know Phil Davis. So Phil yeah. Davis is retired yeah. um, county police officer, uh, great guy. He was my partner in a drug unit. Um, but me and Phil, I would say we're probably very similar type people. And uh, Gary used to tell me that all the time. He said, you just, you remind me of Davis. 
and he would call us Radio Rick, and uh, he would uh, and he would he would just say, hey, "It's time to slow down, think about stuff." And and I I wa- I got to watch Gary, um, like solve like very complex burglaries just by just by his memory was insane. Really, he just had a crazy memory. Like he would he would remember who wrote a CPC. Remember back in the day, like we we had these CPCs. So if I stopped you, we still got them. You still have them, okay? So still like you know, but like back in the day, they were like handwritten, and Gary would read them, and he would remember them. And to me, that was insane. Absolutely. Like, how do you remember mm-hmm. these things? And he would remember them. And, he, and you know, we had a we had a bunch of burglaries that were going on during the daytime at Pike Pike Creek. And he he just read the reports. He's like, I think I know who did it. And he was right. Yeah, the guy was like on point. I thought that's amazing. It would have taken me two months of reading reports, but he 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 always he always you always walked away from working for him every day. Like I I learned something today from him. You know, I could say that about a lot of county officers, sergeants as well. That's not it's not just not just Gary, but when it comes to being an investigator, starting out in burglary, he was like the best person I could have worked with. Just like having Seth Polk as my sector partner. As a brand new cop, it was he was the best person they could have put with me. Him and that uh, Jimmy Fitzgerald, you know, they were both like yeah, Jimmy Fitz, yeah, yeah, great, great guys, um, able to channel my energy in the right direction. Yeah, and uh, it's funny you say that about like the investigator because like I I was not I spent a long time in CIU. I was not that guy. I was very good at writing search warrants and like all that kind of stuff. But I knew guys and I worked with guys who they would just read reports. I'm like, ah, I think it's this guy. Sure shit. Yeah. Every time it was. I'm like, I don't know how you're doing that. Right. Keep doing it. Yes. Uh we're gonna work together on this, but Absolutely. Yeah. 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 They're uh they're special people. Absolutely. And some of them are like, what are you doing in law enforcement? You yeah. should be a doctor or something. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um But thank God we have them because they're out there and and they definitely make us safer. So Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So you start started out in burglary. How long did you do there? I was in burglary for for a year, as a matter of fact. And then Gary Taylor uh, I really wanted to go to the drug unit because I kind of liked, I just liked that fast pace. I'd like to, I hate, hate to even say it, but I, I liked the danger of the drug unit. Sure. Um, I really wanted to to get into doing direct buys. I always thought that like, hey, I wanted to go out there and buy dope. And we had, and, and the county at that time had not been doing a lot of direct buys back then. And I, and I thought that, uh, you know, because I'm from Philadelphia, you know, um, you know, you grew up in like different different areas. You know, I, th- I felt like I could go out there. And I thought I could buy dope. I thought I could definitely do it. And uh, you know, Gary gave me the chance to go to the drug unit, and uh, it it worked out great. We were buying dope every day. Um, Can I tell you something funny? Yeah. So I, when I started out uh, in my law enforcement career, well, I started at MSP. When I came to the county for a split second, I thought oh, I might, I want might want to go to the drug unit. Now my head's shaved now, but I have red hair. Red hair, very pale. And I remember bringing it up to somebody, uh, and they were like, dude, who are you going to sell drugs to? You're going to, like, to the Amish? Like, what are you doing? Like, so they quickly uh, rerouted my direction of travel there. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think some officers, like, constantly carry themselves like officers. And that's, and that is like the hardest thing for a guy. Like, you're, you're a bigger guy. Like, I walk in, I'm immediately like, oh, he's a big dude. You know, like, it's kind of hard for you to look like you would smoke crack or use heroin. Sure. You look like a very healthy guy. You know, right. if I don't shower for a week, I look like a guy that would smoke crack and use heroin. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, and a lot of guys just carry themselves like cops, you know? Yep. Um, and I think that's hard for, for a lot of us to do because you're so used to being, being that guy mm-hmm. or that girl, you know, that you have to kind of just act like, uh, 
like you're you're desperate. Yeah, you know, and it's hard for some people to do that. Yeah, we don't really see that transition uh, in the county now. People go from property or burglary to drugs like that. Really doesn't. It's the opposite now. Right. Uh, nobody yeah. really does that that switch anymore. So that's kind of unusual. I think it was hear. still like that back then too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was still like that back then. I just think that Gar- Gary at the time was trying to put together a team of um, you know, just like guys that really wanted to uh, like stay up all night, work all day and just make as many arrests as possible. And, right. and that's, that's the group that we had. We had, a, I, that was the time of my life. If I, if I could relive from now to the day I die, the de- the days in the drug unit for me were, were the best, to- best times for me personally, probably not for my family. Right. My wife was probably like, okay, one more year of this year we're, you know, I'm out of here. Did you have any kids at that time? Yeah, I, my, yeah, both both kids. Yeah, and they were young, you know. Um, and there were days like, like I said, like Phil Phil Davis was like my partner. We would sleep in the sleep in the drug unit, you know, because we'd 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 be up buying dope at eleven o'clock at you know twenty three hundred hours, and then hit, and then write the search warrant and hit the ha- hit the house at zero six, you know. So um, no sense in going home if you have to be there at five a.m. to do the briefing. Um, so yeah, so and I and I looked, you know, like most of the guys do in the drug unit, you kind of look like, oh, okay, that guy is uh, someone I want to like leave my pocketbook around right mm-hmm. now. So uh, and my wife was kind of like, uh, I think getting tired of like her looking normal with like two adorable little girls, yeah. and here's her husband who looks like he's, <laughs> you know, he's wearing ripped jeans and yeah hasn't showered in two days. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I wonder if you guys did more direct buys and that kind of fly by the seat of your pants things more than they do now. I feel like they're a little more calculated now probably it's probably safer um, yeah and, and honestly now that i look back at it i would say uh like although it was the funnest time of my life sometimes i'm like why what, the, what was i thinking you know i mean oh, there was yeah. times like you know where i would be inside someone's apartment you know on their couch buying crack you know like thank god you know they never asked me to smoke it with them or you know yeah. or never uh or never like held me up or anything like that we had one incident in lexington green where Luckily, we had a we had a safety team of uh, state police sort guys mm-hmm. in a minivan, and they had a comp. They heard me on the wire say like, "You got to get me, get get me out of here now." Yeah, and uh, they, they came like flying in in this like minivan, and it was like the greatest feeling ever seeing them come in there because I thought oh, things 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 were getting bad, you know. Um, but you're probably pumped. You're probably this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're a lot. You know, you know, you're alive every day in that unit. Yeah, you know? yeah, and the and you know. I'm sure I wasn't the greatest drug detective in the world, but uh, I, I certainly uh, I didn't mind working all night long, and and I, uh, I, I, I loved buying dope. I thought it was the, the especially when you knew you had it was you were wired up, and you had video of it. You know that person was, you know that, that's a great case. You can bring that case to the uh, the AG's office and show them. Here's the video of me buying the drugs. Here's the audio of me buying the drugs, and here's the drugs. You know, yeah. so it's kind of hard to argue that. Now, how long did you do in the drug unit? I was there from. Um, I was there almost four years. Wow, really? Yeah, um, yeah, two, yeah, yeah, four, yeah. Four years. Because then I did, a, I then I did a year back in property again after that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I went back to property again, and then that's around the time like I knew. I I was out of the res, I was in the reserves till two thousand four. When I got out of the reserves, I went into detectives like three months later. It just happened to work out that way. Yeah, and then. Um, I went back and I went back in the reserves in 2010. I re-enlisted in the Army CID, and uh, that was like around the end of my CIU time. And then I think I spent like maybe like three months back on the street before I left for Army CID full time. Right. Yeah. Where did SWAT come into the mix for all this? 
Uh, SWAT came in in the end of 2003. Uh, It's another thing. So (laughs) I could tell you, um, I kind of like fell into SWAT from when 9-11 occurred. My reserve unit was an MP garrison unit. Um, So on our drill weekends, we'd go to Fort Dix and patrol and help out the police up there, which Fort Dix at the time, pre-9-11, was almost bracked. They were looking at getting rid of of the base. Like they were doing a a ton of bases at the time. And then when 9-11 happened, Within a month, it went from being a base that might be brack to being almost an active duty post with 40,000 soldiers on it. Wow. They were pumping guys through to Afghanistan. And then, and then when they were, when Iraq and Afghanistan was, was going good, it was mobbed. The, play, the base was mobbed. Um, so when we were there on, on, uh, on Dix, my, uh, I was a training NCO. I just made staff sergeant in, uh, I think like March of 2001. My, uh, my provost marshal's like, hey, we're, we we have to have an SRT team here. Um, would you like to run it? And I was like, yeah, sure. What, what is it? He's like, oh, that's like the military SWAT. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun. You know, why not? Like a lot of stuff wasn't really going on there. So I looked at it as like a training opportunity where I get some great training opportunity out of it. And really that that right there changed, that, that changed the trajectory of my career because he said, well, okay, well, great. Well, we're going to do this. You're going to be in charge of it. We have no money for it. So you have to... We'll send you to the Army school, which was a, which was a great school. Um, How long was that school? Um, at the time, I think it was it might be like two or three weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's just ba- like basic tactics school, you know. And then, um, and after that, like any follow-on training was on me. And uh, so we went to the SRT school. We came back. There was like like six or seven of us, and uh, everybody was mostly a civilian cop who was on the team because our unit had, was heavy on civilian police. And I, I called NYPD ESU, the Emergency Services Unit from NYPD. And I was like, hey, listen, you're, we're in Jersey. You're, you're in New York City. Um, is there any way we could get a spot in, one of your, in your tactics school? And what did like, you do, just cold call them? I like just, just... Listen, I, I'm knocking around. I've made that, I've made it, I perfected that cold call, man. <laughs> I just go say, hey, listen, we're from the Army. Uh, we have no money. But I can, I can get us hotel rooms wherever you're at. And we would like to come to your school. And, and they were absolutely, you know, it was right after 9-11, man. It was like. Oh, was, so they were probably yeah, all about it. Yeah. They were all about helping us. And uh, so me and a, like six guys went up to uh, Floyd Bennett Field to where the emergency service unit trains their attack. Now, their school was like, I think it's like nine months to a year long before you become a like a certified ESU operator. But they do high angle rescue. They do like extrications. They do more than just SWAT stuff. But they, But that is their SWAT team. And I'll be honest with you, at that time, I was cocky, man. I thought I, I thought I literally knew everything. I was a county police officer. I was a, an aggressive street cop. Right. Um, I was in the best shape of my life. I thought I thought I knew everything. And then that moment when we went up to that school and I'm sitting in a room with 50 new SWAT candidates for, for the NYPD, and here, here are their instructors. And these guys were had been doing three thousand search warrants a year. Wow! Executing three. I mean, and that's not including like their barricades, their hostage rescue stuff. They had been arresting terrorists since like that's nothing new to them. Yeah. You know, up there they're dealing with they're dealing with everything. And that was the first school I'd gone to where the the instructors would teach something and they would show a video of them actually doing it. No way. And why it works. And they brought out they brought out shields, and uh, you know everybody likes. One thing in the SWAT world is I don't like to carry a shield. It's too heavy. Well, when they work out, 
you know, a lot of people say they don't like carrying shields. Well, they would bring out shields that had like, you know, 20 bullet holes in it <laughs> because they were hiding behind it because they were getting shot at. And they had it on video and they would show you the video of why they carry shields. Yeah. And um, the first day of the class are like, hey, army guys, you know, everybody there is like, like, you know, it's like like a big Italian guy or, you know, there's like these big, these big hulking men. And to me, they were gods. Like, is you know, hearing the amount of work they're doing, it's almost unheard of. They are the tip of the spear when it comes to. And they're full time there. That was what they did. That's all they do. That's all they do is NYPD. 24 hours a day, they got SWAT guys available 24 hours a day. And they're and they're busy. Um, you know, and they're like, hey, Army guys, uh, you know, do you guys carry shields? And we're like, nah, they slow you down. We don't use them. Like, okay. The whole the whole school was simunitions. We didn't go to a live fire range at all. Well, I'm sure they fire their weapons during the regular stuff, but just the tactics portion of it was just simunitions. Like, oh, well, you come in. And they had this fluid benefit field as this indoor, like, apartment complex uh, inside of an old blimp hangar that they built, of course, on their own. And they're like, all right, well, uh, you're going to execute a search warrant at this address. Uh, however you want to do it, do it. So us army guys were like, we're going to go in there. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to overwhelm these, these, these NYPD guys, you know? And let me tell you something. We got slaughtered. <laughs> it wasn't even, I think they disarmed like, th- like half of the team. They, they, they took our weapons from us. Wow. And the other guys just got shot up. And then for the next uh, three weeks, they taught us all their tactics and it became uh it became my gospel yeah and also the biggest thing of it was watching how humble these guys were because these guys there's there's no there's no doubt they are the most tactically proficient unit in the country probably when it comes to civilian law enforcement sure just, the amount of work they do is, is undeniable yeah they're getting reps in nonstop. undeniable um but they were so humble you know i thought to myself like man here i am i'm this cocky cocky like young dude who's got but really hardly any real experience when it comes to law enforcement you know it's only three or four years like what really what is that really when you have three or four years you're still trying to learn your way around um you know and uh i was like i'm so cocky and these guys are like these guys are like gods you know and um and they they were like they were there on 9-11 like they had lost friends on 9-11 you know what right. i mean and i just thought like that's how i'm going to be from now on like i'm, I'm going to try to keep my my ego in check to the point. It's good to have a healthy ego in law enforcement, absolutely. But I knew that I needed to check my ego enough because if these guys are checking their ego, then I should be checking my ego. And um, they were always open to learning new things. And at the end, of, at the end of the school, I sat um, at Floyd Bennett Field. We were having beers right by where all their, their aviation unit was. I'm having beers with these like you know, these legends to me. You know, these guys like were at 9/11, man, and um, and we're just you know. This BSing, and they're asking me like how how we thought their school could be improved. Mm. I was like, hey man, everything. Listen, I think your school's perfect because I wish we could send everybody to it, you know. And uh, that really that really changed me. That really kind of like I guess matured me, you know. Where I was like, okay, well, I'm really not I'm really not that guy. It you sounds know? like it just kind of showed you the light. Like, oh, this isn't this is there's a whole another level out here. Completely, man. It's like you know, high school football. To like prof- professional football, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I had it's funny you bring up sports because I had that happen in high school a lot. Like when I was playing basketball, and we would go out of conference to go play like a big, big school, and it's like, oh, these are like grown men, right? Like we're little boys over here. You know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. You're seeing a whole another side of this. All right, so you go to that school, yeah. You're still with the county. I'm still with the county, yeah. So you come yeah. back, yeah. And the, is that what kind of steamrolled you to be like, hey, we got to get our shit together? It was them and the FBI's firearms training unit out of New York. 
Okay. So they they would use Fort Dix's ranges to do all their SWAT schools, their sniper schools. They did a counter assault school. Uh, they did a officer survival stuff. Um, and pretty much the same thing with the NYPD guys. You know, here are these these FBI like, you know, firearms guys that were just like on point. New new anything about weapons, the guys could could tell you anything about ammunition, weapons, tactics. Um, they had done some stuff overseas, and I, they would come through the they would come through the gate, and I would time it every day. Because now I was feeling a little cocky, right? Because I got the NYPD to, let, to come down and train us. Um, now I'm going to get these FBI guys to train us, you know. And uh, they would come through the gate every day. And this this guy Kirby Scott, who was uh, a wonderful wonderful person, um, he comes every day. Hey Kirby, how you doing? Blah blah. blah. So I'll build a little rapport with him, and then finally one day I'm like, Hey Kirby, when are you going to train us? And he's like, Well, what do you want? And then hey, and then I, when someone says, "What do you want?" Everything I, you, you ask, you ask for the world, and they <laughs> and they gave us the world. They gave us sniper schools. They gave us SWAT schools. They gave us the officer survival schools. Um, we started going up to West Point because they had they had a contingent up at West Point that put on um, an officer survival school. So hey, man, like I just got, I, I just I, I think I started perfecting the ability to uh, to sound needy. And also a little bit desperate, and and it worked. People, I think a lot of people are out there that are willing to help us out. Definitely. We just have to be able to, like, you know, check your ego and say, "Hey, man, you got, you know, you have a skill that I don't have, and I and I want to learn it. So please, 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 like right now, I'm I'm just took my first boxing lesson from Scott Kleckner from Delaware State Police, retired Delaware State Trooper, guys. Mm-hmm. Scott's forever young. You, if you if I introduce you to Scott right now, you'd never guess he was a retired state trooper. He looks like he's he should, should be applying to the academy when he graduates high school. <laughs> right. You know. Um, but hey, Scotty, same way. Hey, he's a great boxer. Hey, why don't you train me? And he lives like a mile from me. So I'm just left this house an hour ago. Yeah. You know, where Scotty's like beating me up in his basement. Right. Um, so I, I kind of feel like I perfected, I perfected that. And then, well, uh, you have the, you have the characteristic where you're, you're okay asking for help. Not a lot of people are like that. Absolutely. Especially cops, especially cops. And you have to be able to ask for help. And a lot of other things I hear you talking about, like this, like mental, like mental wellness yep, and uh you know uh, taking care of yourself like same thing you know you have to be able to say like we're we're all human you know i don't know everything i don't know i mean this is my 23rd year in law enforcement i guess i guess this is my 23rd year and i still don't i mean i know i don't know everything and right. i and there's something that someone in the county or someone in the fbi or whatever who's got one year on can teach me um i tell you what uh fbi the guy that i work with now a lot um, a lot of my cases in the DOD, he um, he's the best interviewer I've I've ever been around. I mean, I I probably have like 10, 10 more years of experience in law enforcement than he does, just law enforcement in general. And I love sitting in the room when he interviews people. I feel like confessing to a crime I had nothing to do with <laughs> when he's interviewing the person. You're like raising your hand, like I got to yeah, tell you I'm something. Like, man. Hold on, okay, in the third grade. I took chocolate milk. I ordered regular milk. Like I, yeah. I'm ready to confess because um, everybody has special skills. You know, I'm sure there's stuff that I can help people with sure. as well. Um, but I think that we have to be able to ask for stuff. And that's when I, when I, I came home and I wanted to be able to give to the officers that I work with the same experiences I had, you know, with the FBI and the NYPD. And we did other things too as well. Like New Jersey has um, prosecutor's offices. We were going to a lot of the prosecutor's 
you're from Jersey, so yep, you, yep. you know the deal. So like, uh, they have a lot of training there, you know, and uh, they were the same way. Like, Burlington County Prosecutor's Office, Somerset County Prosecutor's Office, Bergen County, they were putting on training. They were letting our guys come to it. And some of it was great, some of it was terrible. And even the terrible training, I took something away from it. Like, okay, I'm never going to do what they just told me to Which do. Which is just as valuable sometimes. Just as valuable. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, just as valuable. And um, I came back and thought, you know, well, how how can I do this, right? And uh, and that was when active shooter was, I mean, it wasn't anything new because Columbine had, had happened in, it's like uh, 90s, like late 90s. Yeah, I forget yeah. when that was, but yeah. But, uh, you know, I found NTOA, the NTOA, they had, I got them to, and the NTOA, I got them to donate some equipment to our SWAT team on, on Fort Dix. I just, call, I just literally called the NTOA number and said, hey, I'm running a uh, SRT team here on Fort Dix. We have, we have no equipment. Uh, is there anything you can give us? And they sent me like shields and like a couple. It was great. They're just giving us stuff for free. Yeah. So I knew they were running an active shooter instructor school. And I thought to myself, why are we not training everybody in just this? You know? Right. Um, and that's pretty much how it started. Uh, I went to that school um, and I started the, the, the Delaware. T- and I, with, I started that school with the intent of SWAT being the group um, that was going to train the rest of the, um, the agency in uh, active shooter tactics because i thought well it's it, it's gonna be if we have one right now it's gonna be too late like we're absolutely we're gonna do what every other agency's doing out there setting up a perimeter while people inside this structure are being slaughtered yep. you know so that was the intent of doing that and uh that i mean obviously it's still going on today they're still they're still training people in those tactics and uh and then i started the delaware tactical officers association how did you start that so uh i I basically stole the concept from the National Tactical Officers Association. And there was a couple other states that had Tactical Officers Associations, but I wanted to do it even cheaper because I, I, I saw how like some other states were doing it and it looked like to me like um, it was really expensive. Like I can't ask like a, a, a rookie, rookie cop to, to pay $200 yeah. to go to a two-day class, you know? But I certainly, I know a lot of people in Delaware. And I'll tell you what, I know uh, I know a bunch of guys on DSP SORT, and I know a bunch of guys at the county SWAT, and I know a bunch of guys from WPD SWAT, um, and anybody else, any of these other agencies that we have here that are certainly willing to put on a one-day class that can teach an officer something that might save their life, you know? And um, and everybody seemed to jump on board with it pretty quick. You know, I, I Floyd Wiley at the time was like my, my lightning rod with it because I knew I still only had like... I started, I had like five years on the job. So like, I'm, no one's going to take me seriously at that time of five years on the job saying, I want to start some statewide training organization. Yeah, and, that's true. Hey, I'm going to be the boss of it. Was he a sergeant at the time or was he still? It was right before he made sergeant. Okay. But like Floyd's like one of those guys, he's like always a leader. And like, you know, like, always. You always, like you're like, oh, you're talking about defensive tactics. So you're going to talk to him with it. Floyd Wilder. You want to talk yeah. about command presence. That man walks in the room and it's just like, oh, well, I'm going to listen to this guy. <laughs> you better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I use Floyd as like kind of like my uh, my spokesperson with with staff. And I think uh, I, I think once the staff realized that like what we were doing, was, what we wanted to do was was genuine, was to give officers training and say, hey, they're going to do it on their own time. Like I don't expect the county to give everybody off to come train with Brian Grant or whoever Brian Grant's bringing there. Yeah. Um, the the county got behind it. And it, and it worked. I mean, I sent the list of, of of the schools we did. We put on like twenty plus. Yeah, it was a ton training events with guys from everywhere. From you know, Delta Force operators came out, came down to Israeli special forces to uh, to 
Rob Crisilla from the Delaware State Police. You know, like we we were bringing in. Uh, I thought we were, we were able to bring in the state uh, experts and uh, Floyd Wiley, Frank Robinson, Phil Davis. You know, bringing like this. this so that, guys that so that list knew. that list you sent me. Those were trainings that you guys specifically put on. So all the speakers that you had. Um, because there were some really impressive like people on that list. Oh, yeah. I mean, did you guys reach out to them? Like, how'd that work? So, cold call. First thing I did was after after the department said that they were okay with me creating this organization, because I wanted to make sure that they were okay with it. Because I didn't want anybody to think that like O'Brien oh, Grant's doing this for himself. Right. You know, it's it wasn't for me. It was I was trying to give the people that I work with the same experience that I had at the NYPD and with the, the FBI, where I was just like, light bulb goes on. There's people out there that can teach you stuff to save your life, right? I went to, uh, I think Jane Brady. Jane Brady was the, uh, who was the AG at the time? I I might be saying the name wrong. But the the AG at the time, I forget who it was. I went and spoke to the the, the AG and said, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Would you back a um, officer survival conference? We started out with like a basic like, Super easy, like officer survival. Everyone's sitting in chairs. No one's shooting any guns. Yeah. No simulations. Nobody can. If you get hurt at this thing, it's because you you tripped on the steps. You know. I saw it was like 2008, right? Was it? Yeah, yeah. It. And yeah. Uh, she was like, "Yeah, no problem. Yeah, let's do it." So I knew if they had their backing, and I had the other agencies backing it, and I obviously I went to Delaware State Police. I went to Wilmington. Wilmington was really involved back in the uh, when we started it. Um, so if I had Wilmington the County and, and, and the state all on board to help put, put training together and I, and I wanted their input too. Um, I wanted them to put their input cause I didn't want anybody to think that like I was dictating on where the training was going to go. I wanted everyone to have their input. And, um, one of the things that I really wanted to do was there was a, there was a, a, a sergeant from Wilmington named Liam Sullivan. And I had always heard about like, Liam was like the guy on the street. Like he was like the Wilmington guy that was that would like knew everybody, had a ton of like ton of CIs and was making great arrests and everybody loved Liam. And like I had never even met Liam. And I'm like, I want to find Liam, sit him down and tell and and ask him, How are you you? You know, right. like what what do you do that's so good? You know? And um and we were able to get Liam in the room to talk about, you know, drug investigations. Because there's people in the state right now that don't work for the county or work for another agency, you know, that and people at the county that other people could love to hear from and learn from. And would make the officers either better investigators or make them better uh tactically. Yep. Or at least not only that, like at three in the morning, when you um when you have a, a homicide somewhere and Wilmington might have had a homicide as well. It's better that I've I know you personally and I can call you on your cell phone rather than calling Will Com saying hey, who's on call right now? Can you put me through to a detective? No, I'm just going to call whoever. Yeah. Um. And that and that is that is what had happened a, a, a quite a bit. You know. Um, right. Yeah. So that that's the DTOA got put together and then in a couple like the second year and the the conferences went off awesome. They were they were like we were running this thing and I would tell Floyd it was me Floyd Randy Path from Wilmington we'd be sitting around like how are we pulling this off you know we had the the riverfront we had like tactical vehicles like inside the riverfront yeah. you know it was just it was bizarre to me you know uh, the, the two delta guys that were at black like in the black hawk down like those guys were there like were teaching for us mm-hmm. um now uh real quick had you gone to blackwater yet to get trained through that school yet so uh no I think Blackwater was shortly thereafter because we, so with the, with the concept of the DTOA being successful, 
meet Floyd and Frank Robinson and Brad Norris. Stellar like, crew, by the way. Just a bunch of savages. Oh, just great, great guys, man. And I was just like, like, why are we not? Why are we not teaching our own SWAT school? Like, I don't, I don't, I never understood that, you know. And so, uh, what, what did you? So you were on SWAT, yeah. So how did you guys get trained before this? It was like, uh, well, I mean, you would still train, but there was never like at that time. There was, t- there were times that the SWAT team would train for like a week or so. You know what I mean? But there was no like official SWAT school. No, there wasn't any official SWAT. Some guys would go away to schools and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But there wasn't a, like an official SWAT school where like, hey, you're, 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 we're looking at you to be on the team. We're gonna put you through the school. We're gonna see if you're the guy that we want or the girl that you that we want on yeah. the team. Um, and uh, I think it was Scott McLaren at the time, whoever the chief was at the time. They all, it all blends in my head now. Um, <laughs> was like, all right, well, where do you guys want to go? And we already knew where we want to go. We wanted to go to Blackwater because Blackwater Blackwater had a uh, SWAT instructor. Um, course down there and we went down to blackwater and met some awesome people from like las vegas metro that were already running their own schools and there were some other dudes down there that helped us out and basically we used to call it the tactical pirate man i'd steal everything from you you know anything that you, that i thought was cool that you did that i thought would make our, our officers safer and uh you know make them perform their job better we just stole it and made it in our own just boom threw a county police sticker on it you know right right <laughs> over las vegas metro I'm gonna put that county police sticker right over that Las Vegas Metro. <laughs> now it's ours, you know. And um, how long was that school, Blackwater? I think it was two weeks for yeah. instructor school. Um, we went down there for that, and I went down for. Um, and what did you do? Convince the county to send you? Yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, we convinced the. And th- at that time, Frank and Floyd were both sergeants. Brad, I don't know if Brad made sergeant yet. Um, yeah. So they sent me, Brad. Floyd and Frank down the Blackwater. And it was like, you know, it's like, that's legitimately man camp. You go uh, down there and- That's what I've heard. He's driving down the road and there's a helicopter firing rounds out the side of it at a, at a like right over your car, you know? <laughs> uh, coolest place in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, they get a bad rap, but their training, their training was phenomenal. I would, I, I would, I would encourage anybody to be, they get a chance to go down there and train. I've heard phenomenal things about that place. Phenomenal. Just yeah. complete- complete rock stars down there mm-hmm. um and it was great and you got to stay like in a lodge it was like a log cabin you know you felt like you felt like you were that guy yeah. you know the log cabin had like a giant like grizzly bear in like <laughs> in, in you know in the uh in the lobby you know but it was just a week of like you know shooting guns and talking about how to develop a, uh, a swat program and i think it uh worked out well because i know they're still doing it now to this day yeah and the same thing with um you know, train with active shooter. You know, I, I'm sure they, I know it's been the names changed a whole bunch of other times since since uh, I've been around. But um, I know that you know the county SWAT guys are still are still teaching it, and, yep. and it's uh, it's great that we know that I know that my kids who go to school here in the county, God forbid something happens at their school, or if my wife's at work, you know, or if your wife's at work and something happens and a county police officer arrives up there, they're going to know what to do. Yep. You know. Yeah, we're actually coming up on that again. I know we're all going through it again here uh, pretty soon. I was just talking to Jimmy Allison about it. Um, that was a great school. Big eye-opener for me. I yeah. mean, I had gone through it like an MSP, and then when I came over here to the county. Um, but that, those simulation trainings, when you actually get to like go through and do live things like that, game changer. You can't, you can't argue with it. Because yeah. if, uh, if you don't believe in it, you're going you're to be in pain. Yeah, it hurts. Because yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts really bad. <laughs> it's yeah. pain compliant. Yeah, that it's fine. Use the M4 rounds. That's when it really hurts. Yeah. Yeah. So you you guys kind of developed this one, well, not kind of, you did. You developed this SWAT school. How was that like, like going through that the first few times? 
to, to be honest with you, I think that it was a smooth transition from just like you're training, uh, you know, you're training once a month uh, to now you're, you're basically just throwing all the training into, um, you know, that week span of, of time. And uh, everybody was already of the same mindset. The team, the team at that point was everyone was on board. They, they knew we had to have a formalized training program that uh, not only trained trained the, uh, the candidates for the team, but also gave you an evalu- a, a good way to evaluate them to see, if, would you really want to be going through a house with someone, with that person? Sure. If you're going after the worst of the worst, you know, um, which I which I love that. That was a, for me, that was the greatest thing in the world. Zero six a.m. You know, you're going to go catch a murderer or someone you know that's done is you know a scary human being. There's nothing like that feeling. Yeah, there's nothing like that feeling. Only thing I could say that's close to it is is like jujitsu. <laughs> you know, like when I'm like when I'm training jujitsu and in walks like a new guy who's a black belt. You know, and he wants to roll with me. I get that feeling like the same feeling I got like as I was a shield guy. I love carrying the shield because the shield because I'm five foot eight. No one's gonna put me first through the door, right? Because I'm five foot eight. Yeah. And when you get guys in a team who are like giant muscle head CrossFit studs, no one's gonna put that five foot eight kid nope through the door. But you know what? No one wants to carry that shield, so I want to carry the shield. I got to go first through the door. That's another like very unique personality trait because I can't say that I have it. Yeah, you know I, I mean, it. like, yeah, I was always like, uh, you know, when I worked in homicide, hey, great case, you signed the arrest warrant guys go go get this guy for me and then i'll be waiting here when he comes back you know what i mean kind of thing but even our swat guys now they're a different breed yeah i i thought um i know it sounds like corny but like i just loved doing dangerous stuff that's why i loved that's why i loved i love being a shield guy going through the first through the door just that feeling like that the, like would you the, say you're an adrenaline junkie i like now at 45 i'd say no i'm not at this point in time in my life but i'm probably Probably at that time, yeah, I was an adrenaline junkie, and I, I may a little bit still, I guess, yeah. you know. Um, I, I don't really, I really don't look at myself as like I'm 45. I still think that I'm like 20 years old. Yeah, you know. I think that's the way to do it, though. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I, I, I had this conversation quite, a, quite a bit with other guys uh, uh, that are my age are still doing like jujitsu or absolutely. You know, like I said, Scotty Kleckner, this retired trooper who's like beating me up in his basement. Um, you know, it's like, hey, man, I'm going to go until the wheels fall off. You know what Because I mean? what's the other option? The other option is just what? Just like be a bum and just not do anything and get old. And, and fall apart. I'm why not would doing you do that? that? Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm not, I just I just loved being the first through the door. I just, I just I loved it so much. And that was the hardest thing about leaving the county police for me was I knew that like, okay, I'm going into federal law enforcement. I'm going to be doing white collar crime. Yeah, it's no more high speed. Yeah, it's uh, so like. Luckily with CID, I got to go to Afghanistan with with my civilian gig with with CID. So um, like driving on JBAD Road and uh, you know uh, um, going from fob to fob, and we're doing investigations over there. Like uh, that was like kind of like fun because you knew like, hey man, I'm on JBAD Road. This is the most dangerous road in the world, and there's IEDs here all the time. And we drove through places that just got hit with IEDs, or you know. And what was it you were doing over there? So it's called the International Contract Corruption Task Force, and it's basically a task force of like Army, CID, NCIS, the Defense Criminal Investigative Service, um, FBI, FSA, right? Department of State. It's basically a, like a, a task force of, of federal law enforcement agencies that are that are uh, fighting fraud against the government. Gotcha. Yeah, and um, 
So just tra- just traveling around there, you know, like going to like Fob Airborne by like by helicopter and landing there, and it's just like you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Yeah, you know, um, that was exciting. But outside of that, like right now, like eh, you know, if I'm gonna, it's white collar fraud. You know, it's it, it, sure. it, it, it's very rewarding. It's very rewarding because I hate to say, it, like you know, when you deal with someone like who's less fortunate and it gets pulled into the drug game or, or is just doing whatever because that's all they know and that's all their family's ever known. You know, I can kind of understand why someone would end up that, that way. Yeah. You know, I look at my own, my own, like, like my father, you know, like he, he probably is the way he, he was because of, for whatever circumstances we're, we're, we're in his life. You know, thank God my mother didn't take any crap yeah. and was all on me nonstop and kept me out of, you know, be getting in trouble. Um, but I, I can understand why someone, I don't agree with it, but I can understand why someone can get involved in something that they don't, they, that, that you know, crime. Now, listen, I totally agree yeah. with it. And just like I grew up uh, working in 31 sector, like I, yeah. trust me, I get it. When we go to these houses and you have a little four-year-old kid who's in that crack house who literally knows nothing different, like, okay, well, that kid's probably not going to turn out that great. You know what I mean? Unless something miraculous happens and somebody gets involved with it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love like organizations that like actually try to, Try to stop that the sure. best they can, um, but like you know, white collar crime. Usually dealing with like someone who's got like advanced education, not just like education. Like I have a criminal justice degree from Wilmington University. Like yeah. I'm not going to solve. I'm not going to cure cancer. But you're talking about someone that might be like an account, have an accounting degree, or have an advanced engineering degree, or whatever. You know, is successful already. Already is making good money. And then you're like, what are you, what are you stealing for, man? And they know exactly what they're doing. Exactly they're what they're doing, man. And, and it's like, and not only that. It's the DOD, so a lot of this stuff is for soldier safety. It's oh, for yeah. you know, um, it's for that eighteen-year-old private who's in the middle of nowhere, who's depending on this piece of equipment that was issued to him, yeah, him or him or her. You know, and they want to make sure that if they need that, it's going to work when they need it. You know, um, are you doing pretty extensive interviews during these cases? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I would say typical interviews for us are multiple interviews for the right. same people. You know, it's it's never. Uh, I've had cases that were five, six years long. You know, my first interview, leaving the county police and going to the federal side, was we interviewed a company, but we didn't interview the company owners. We interviewed the company's attorney, and that company's attorney had two attorneys for him. <laughs> and it was like this, like I sit there, I'm like, this is the oddest thing ever. Yeah. Um, we're interviewing an attorney, and that attorney brought two attorneys for himself. Just in case. Just in case. And every time he'd ask a question, he would lean back in his chair and the other two attorneys would whisper in his ear and he'd come back and say, maybe, <laughs> or it's possible. <laughs> right. Like, I, I don't recall. I'll have to get off to circle back with you on that. You know, something like that. Yeah, you know? that's frustrating. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot different than like, you know, interviewing like someone who's breaking into houses because they're trying to support a drug habit. Oh, absolutely. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I was just going to say something. Oh, with those interviews, like uh, if you ever got to the point where you're interviewing like suspects, those big frauds, is there like a common theme that you've come across? So like what these people's mindset is? I would say, I wouldn't say it's because uh, ca- every case is different. Yeah. You know, I would say that uh, a lot of times it's like, hey, they're just get, you're just getting away with it forever. I got you know, you. You're just getting away with it. And like you, listen, when I left to go to Army CID, I don't think anybody in the county ever even knew what Army CID was, mm-hmm. you know, um, now that the now that I work for the DOD, 
you know, it's like it's even a smaller agency with a more specific. Well, we have we have a broad mission, but uh, we're a smaller agency. Um, and like we're we're in news releases all the time. But I think it's kind of like a thing like you just like read past the agency, you don't think anything of it. Yep. But I think it's kind of like, hey, we, I mean, getting away with this. We've been doing this forever. Like we've been doing this for absolutely forever. Now you're coming and telling me I'm not allowed to do that. Well, yeah, you know, you're not allowed to steal, right? You yeah. know, if you're supposed to be giving us product A, but you're giving us product B. We're not paying for product B. We're paying for product A. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're submitting invoices to the government and you're manipulating it to make more money, that's not that's not right. It's called stealing. Yeah. You know, and, I think that's kind of, and I think that some people think that um, it's owed to them. Oh, you know, I can see owed that. To, it's owed that's to a good me, point. You know, because uh, you know, uh, it's owed to me because I should have been making more money. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. It's kind of like the excuse, like I said, like the drug dealer. I really haven't had many. I look back at my experience with drugs, and again, I've been out of policing now for ten years. Um, I look at like the drug dealer, like, hey, they're just like, hey, I'm making my money, man. Yep. You know, what I mean, like, what, what do you want from me? You know, but other people kind of like a million excuses on what they're doing. You know, um, which is fr- which is not. I would say it's not frustrating because nothing frustrates me anymore. Because nothing really surprises me anymore. But uh, it's just like, oh, okay, well, you definitely knew better. You know. Yeah, yeah. that's a very good point because you know. They're educated people. They're purposely taking advantage of others, and they know exactly what they're doing. Completely. It's like, bro, what are you doing, man? And you're already making great money as it is. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a shame. It's yeah. a shame that it happens, but... I want to go back to the uh, training stuff, because mm-hmm. I was looking through the list you sent me, and you guys had like a SWAT challenge competition. Yeah. What of course, was that? the county won it. You know, I saw that. Well, that's why I wanted to talk about it. Listen, it just happened out. It just happened that way. <laughs> it just happened out that the county would win the competition... And the county police guy was running. Yeah, sure. Um, I stayed out of it, but they but they did. Cause what they, was the competition? It was like shooting and stuff like that. It was like, you know, like a, a shooting challenge uh, type of competition. There was a bunch of teams involved, too. And they just, uh, the county came out on top. Yeah. So it just seemed to work out that way. I don't. Th- I haven't heard them doing anything like that. I don't know that they still do Well, the association's defunct. Um, so when I left, it was kind of similar to what you're doing. Like what you're doing, I'm sure is a substantial amount of work and it's more than just interviewing me right now True. in this room. I'm sure it's hours and hours of editing and uh, it's probably a lot harder than it seems, you know? Um, so it, it was uh, it was a st- substantial amount of, of time. I no longer, when I left the county, I no longer had that time because I had, a, I was basically learning a complete new job. Yeah. Um, and I was working primarily, most of my cases were in northern northern New Jersey, so uh, traveling a lot more. So, And I went to Afghanistan uh, with my civilian gig. So uh, I didn't, I did not have uh, the time to, to dedicate to it. Plus, you know what? I was kind of out of the game now, you know? Like, I'm not that SWAT guy anymore. I'm a white-collar fraud agent. I don't really know if Brian Grant in, uh, you know, 1999 would have taken a white-collar fraud agent seriously talking about SWAT tactics. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it just kind of, we pass off to some people and I think they just realize, maybe it's just like, oh, this is a ton of work. And it just kind of went to the wayside. It's well, kind of like if you stopped doing your, your podcast, yeah. I'm sure someone else wouldn't just pick it up. You know? No, it's they definitely like, wouldn't. It's on you. Yeah. And also we had retirements like Floyd and Frank retired. Hmm. You know, Brad moved on, you know. Yeah. So. Well, that's a shame. I do want to talk about some of these. So, I just wrote down a couple of names of these trains. I was just kind of curious, like uh, Fight for Your Life Seminar. Yeah. What's that about? Who's the instructor of that one? Is I don't that, know. Is that Freddie Bauer? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah Freddie yeah. Bauer. Yeah. So he's uh he's a he's a police officer from Jersey. 
just a uh, he's he's like the president of the Gung Ho Chuanis Club. It's like it's the old it's the old original Marine Corps fighting style, which is just like um, it's it's got groundwork in it. And it's a I would say it's a brutal style of fighting, yeah. but more more it's like uh, this is like last last resort kind of scenario thing going on. Barbaric. Here. You have to uh, you either fight fighting for your life. You know, it's not, you know, your gun's gone, your gun's off you, your taser's gone, your asp is gone. It's right. just you you and someone else who, who might have a knife on them and you have to you have to do whatever you do to survive. Speaking of that, speaking it's funny you just said taser, that video you sent me was yeah. like a week ago. Yeah. Scary. It was awful. Uh Brian sent me a video of I don't know, it was like five or six cops in a convenience store and I don't know. They were trying to arrest a dude and everybody was tasing him and it wasn't doing anything. And it was just like everybody standing around. Oh, that was frustrating. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I'll be totally honest with you. I watched like 20 seconds of it and I turned it off. And then I watched it later on. I was like, it's just pissing me off, dude. I, I think a lot of officers are uh, probably concerned with everything. Everything is going to be critiqued. Yeah. And uh, you're watching it. A lot, a lot of guys are getting in tr- like serious, serious trouble. For defending themselves. Um, we just had a roll call, right? Um, we talked about uh, use of force a little bit. And listen, there's definitely some changes coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And, you know, we all have all these tools on our belt. And we all have these great things. And really what it came down to was, and it was something that I said, was at some point in time, you're just going to have to grab somebody. And you just, it's like ripping a Band-Aid off. Yeah. When when it gets to the point where you just have to understand, okay, the, the flip or the switch is now flipped and this person has to be taken into custody and they don't want it like it's not worried about all this just you, you yeah. can't crap people sometimes yeah. if you're if you're on the right and you're not being brutal it's fine and you're not being unnecessary you should be fine you got to yeah. do it yeah yeah and once handcuffs come on it's over it's over it's over it's over no matter what the, that person has said to you or done to you yes once the handcuffs come on it's over i was just gonna say once the handcuffs go on then they do start talking everybody always has a big mouth once handcuffs oh, come on and they yeah. just start saying everything but um i want to talk about the combatives team. Yeah. How'd you get involved in that? So uh, similar to with the DTOA and, and which and the DTOA became the MATOA because Pennsylvania, Maryland, and New Jersey got involved. But like, so the, the combatives team, active duty bases have combatives teams. This is pre-corona. Corona has changed everything. Yeah. Right. So I have heard of them before the combatives teams. Yeah. They're, it's, it's, a, it's a great it's a great thing for young soldiers to direct their energy in, you know. That's um, a good way of putting it. You know, because you have... Uh, you're on an active duty post. You have, uh, you know, 18 year old men and women, you know, all the way up to, you know, however, you know, 60 years old is when you have to get out, you know, living at the living on these posts and uh, you have to enter. They have to do something with their free time. And the combatives teams usually are um, a, a, another activity that the soldiers can be involved in. And combatives is actually a, a an army skill and task that they're, they're supposed to be training in anyway. Um you know, I thought like Ohio had a team, and Kentucky has has a, a, a program as well. Kentucky Guard and Ohio Guard, and there's a, uh, there might be another one as well. By the way, why not Delaware? You know, what I mean, like Delaware should have a should have a a, a combative team because we have like a lot of jujitsu people. Delaware does have a lot of jujitsu um, practitioners, if you will. A- absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and then within the guard, there's 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 plenty of. Uh, men and women who who practice jujitsu a lot, and and combatives isn't just jujitsu. It's boxing, it's wrestling, it's muay thai. Uh, there's a lot of other things involved in that other than just jujitsu. But it is jujitsu covers a lot of that. So um, 
hey, I just uh, I put together a presentation on why I thought we should do it. Another thing was good, uh, and I, I went and um, briefed JAG, and then I briefed, and they briefed the general, and they said, hey, listen, as long as you're safe with it and you're not doing anything crazy with it, um, you can do it with the name of the, of the Delaware Army National Guard on it. I'm seeing a common theme here with you where if you see where something needs to be created, you just kind of do it. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I... No, that's yeah. like a th- honestly though, like you've done, you've now done that several numerous times, um, yeah. and that's a difficult thing to do because I've done it myself with a couple of things with the county. It's very, very challenging. Uh, it seems like you've kind of honed that skill over time. I think if you if you are doing it like if it's coming from a good place, you know, like you're you're, you're actually doing it for other than just. Like it's like for me, like I want to turn, I want to turn. Hopefully, COVID ends soon. Yeah. You know, um, but I would like to turn this over to a uh, like another younger lieutenant. Right. You know, and now you're going to run it. You're going to run this thing, and you're going to take it to an even better place than it when when it was when I started it. Um, we pre-COVID, we had a pre- fairly large team. We went to uh, we went to our first tournament, which was like January of uh 2020 and we came in like 12 out of 112 teams wow and we're talking every one of us is like nobody in there's been doing jiu-jitsu their whole life you know yeah and we did real well and um and the guard was happy about it because hey look you know we're getting the name out there oh you know, yeah it looks, it, it looks good for them sure it's, it's positive for everybody you know and it, it and it keeps your younger soldiers engaged in other than just coming to drill weekends you know like look you're you're representing the guard on your on your own time, and uh, other people see see you wearing that that jersey when you're or, or the rash guard when you're out there at the tournaments. They're like, oh, look, he's a he's a polite young man or woman, you know, and he's and he's and he's doing something that's positive for, in his community. And here he is out here doing something positive at this jujitsu tournament. And look, he's got three gold medals. You yeah, know? that that's a that's a, that's a good. Maybe I would let my son or daughter join the guard. You know, um, or maybe I'm a high school senior and I see. That guy who's out there wearing that rash guard. I, I want to go. I want to go roll. I want to go do jujitsu for the army. You know. Yeah. Um, I want to go back real quick to the beginning. So the, uh, the combatives team, right? Yeah. What is it? Just jujitsu, or so? Uh, yeah. So uh, right now it's just jujitsu because again, COVID has taken um, it's taken a lot of our our plans right and sidelined them. It was sidelined for for many months because come I think it was like March we had to shut the whole program down. Had you been training jiu-jitsu, obviously, prior to starting this? Yeah, I started training jiu-jitsu in July of 2000. I, I had done jiu-jitsu like many years before that, and then I just stopped. I, like, I regret stopping. Yeah. Um, but I started back up like heavily, started back up in July of 2018. So yeah, I had been doing jiu-jitsu for a while. What prompted that, starting back up? Um, you know, I, I, you know, hey, listen, I was saying like, you know, I, I like... I love being on SWAT. I I love being in a drug unit, and you know, um, I, I needed to do something that was kind of kind of dangerous, you know. And uh, well, that's dangerous. Well, yeah, well, it's just it's like, actually not dangerous. Well, it's it's, it's, it's not. It, I guess you're right. It's it's not dangerous because you know what? When we train, like I would never try to hurt anybody ever, even in a tournament. Like I'm not going to try to hurt someone. You know, um, you could hurt somebody, but you would never, you would never in a million years do that. To especially when you're training with your friends every day. Like the people I train with now are are my best friends. You know, I'd spend five, six days a week with them. The way I know? think about it, and I'm kind of similar to you, I mean, I've had, I talked about this with, with uh, Kevin Green, but I've had four different like six-month stints of jiu-jitsu. Something yeah. always happens, and I just like yeah, get yeah. busy, and then I stop. But I never thought about it as hurting somebody. I just thought about like, how can I outsmart this person? Right. That's kind of what it came down to for me. It's like, 
Well, I'll, put, I'll put it this way. Why, why I think jujitsu is good for, for soldiers and for cops, right? Um, so if you're not training in some type of hand-to-hand, I don't care if it's karate, Muay Thai, whatever you want, whatever. I, I'm not saying jujitsu is, is the way, right? But I think it's the way. <laughs> but um, I'm not saying that's the only way, right? But um, you can be a Krav Maga guy or whatever. Listen, as long as you're out there trying to get better, great. You know, yep. but um, for policing and for soldiering, you know, I would much rather have a cop or another agent that I'm working with somewhere. If someone starts fighting with us, take someone down, put them in a Kimura, put the handcuffs on them, and it's and it's it's not even worth even filming it. Nope, because it's it's boring, but it works. It actually works when five foot eight Brian Grant can roll with a six foot four dude. And control him. That's what it's all about. Control. And I, that's, what, that's why I know, like, okay, on the street, there might be somebody out there, like, you know, uh, who's 10 times stronger than I am. But if they're not training, more than likely, I'm going to have a fighting chance. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to have a fighting chance with them, right? Um, to control them, you know, to control them. So um, jujitsu teaches people how to control someone who's bigger than you and stronger than you. Because that strength only goes so far. It really only lasts about 30, 40 seconds, maybe. You're going to gas if you're nothing and but then, muscle. And then man, you're gas. Training. Yeah, if you're not training, I mean, you could be great. You could be a muscle head and be a jiu-jitsu guy. That, oh, yeah. That's, you're, a, you're, that's a deadly combat. Now, now, now you're better off. But, um, you know, if you're just a muscle head in the gym and you start fighting with someone who can hold you down for a little while. Just a simple knee on belly. Knee on belly. Right? I mean, knee, knee on belly, it's you feel like you're a, a, a car is on top of you, mm-hmm. but it's just another person, yep. you know? Um, so I think that it's better for soldiers and for police officers to train in jujitsu because it teaches them how to control people. It's a whole lot less brutal than punching someone in the face. It's a whole lot brutal, less brutal than hitting someone with an ass baton. Um, it looks, it just looks better. And it's better, say, for the, it's better for the suspect too. It is. Yeah. All you're doing is controlling them and it does look better. So uh, Matt Botterbush and Mark Sensorato, they train our guys in the academy. Awesome guys. They have a ton of knowledge. Both, both of them, both of them, you couldn't have two better people at the county teaching your, your recruits and your officers what to do. Because both their personalities are perfect. I mean, they're both very calm guys. When you're training with them, uh, you literally can't do anything against them. No. Uh, they're yeah. very calm. They're just showing you, hey, this is what, and you're right. It looks better. Boxing's great. I think boxing yeah, is boxing is great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Looks violent. Yeah, you're punching someone in the face. It's probably <laughs> and listen, I'm not saying there's never gonna be a time where someone needs to get punched in the face. There might be a sure. time when that happens, and that's your only option. Yep. You know, um and there might be a time when you have to kick someone. I don't know. I, I don't know the scenario when that is, but uh, I mean I would much rather have someone who either works with me or works for me being confident and taking someone down, controlling them with a knee on belly, yep. or putting them in a Kimura or Americana. It's basically an arm bar for people who don't know what jiu-jitsu is. Um, not, you don't have to choke. People say, well, jiu-jitsu is choking people. Well, no one said you had to choke anybody. Like, no. you, know, you don't have to. Th- if you're not allowed to choke people, it, we're talking about jiu-jitsu. The guy who teaches us, who I train under. Yeah. Um, you know, when he first started training, when we first started doing soldiers, it was easy because it's like, okay, we're, these guys might have to go to war one day. Sure. So teach them whatever. Um, and we have we have the combatives book, and we follow the book. We follow the the curriculum the army has, which is basically just jujitsu, you know, yeah. and some Muay Thai and wrestling. Um, but uh, you know, when the cops cops started showing up, you know, because they wanted to train too, and it's like for me, I'm thinking this is great. We can all train together, and uh, you know, uh, we train at Riverfront Jiu Jitsu and down down the city. And uh, he was like, hey, you know, uh, 
I don't know how to I don't know how to trail these guys how to be cops. And I and I I tell them, don't worry about it. They'll they'll apply what you're teaching them to their departmental SOPs and to the law. Yep. They they know how to be cops. Just teach them jujitsu and they'll apply the the tactics and techniques that you're teaching them into their job where it's legal and um they're not violating their department SOPs and everything is fine. He's like Makes total sense to make. So that so now when we're in class, it's usually like, look, I'm not a cop, you know, and I'll say, hey, I'm not on the street anymore, but I know a lot of times people don't want to give you their hands. You know, here's a very simple, easy way to get their hands behind their back yeah. without being brutal to them, yeah. you know. Because um, there's definitely some aspects of like sport jujitsu, which really don't apply. Yeah, some so. sport jujitsu doesn't apply. Yes, I mean, yeah, it's, well, it's like... Uh, like karate, like I'm sure some things in karate apply to apply to policing, but you ain't crane kicking some guy <laughs> on the highway you pull over who who doesn't want to go to jail. Yeah, you know if you kick someone in the face, that might be a problem and look really bad on your uh, on your 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 body camera. Yeah, and you're probably going to get in trouble. Yeah. So yeah, so it's like, hey, we're here's jujitsu. I mean, and and you could train anywhere you want. I mean, Delaware's got tons of like, Kevin Green. You had Kevin Green on last mm-hmm. week. Guys, guys, awesome, awesome you know, guy. Look, yeah podcast was awesome i mean i loved it i loved it i listened to it twice as a matter of fact wow, right? nice yeah um uh so you know you got kevin green out there you have like where i train at riverfront there's uh the, you know elite jiu-jitsu in newark you know you have um i'll tell you what there's another guy over in south jersey uh, daniel tavares that's where i was training yeah before. daniel tavares i mean like he if you like jiu-jitsu you know who daniel tavares is yep yeah yep yeah. That was that was a uh, he's over in Blackwood, New Jersey. I found that spot by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, his gym's amazing. Right. So he teaches every single class. There was days I would go there just during the day, like 10 a.m. class. It was just me, him, like two other guys. I was like, where else could you possibly go to train with Daniel Tavares? Dude, it's, it's very similar. Me, Botterbush, and Chris Sama, who was from the counter drug. Yeah, yeah Sama. I know Sama, Sama. Great yep. guy, right? Uh, he just made first sergeant too. Um, we and Gary Taylor, we would go to elite jiu-jitsu when we were um, in the drug unit in the morning before work, and we were training under Hobson Mora. Like mm. at the time, I'm like, yeah, Hobson Mora, he's from Brazil, like he, he knows jiu-jitsu. But then I find out, like, oh, he's like the Michael Jordan of right. jiu-jitsu, <laughs> and I'm paying fifty dollars a month to learn under this like legend in Brazil. Like he's a absolute legend, and he still is a legend. Now he's got like a whole bunch of schools, guys. Oh yeah, guys, amazing. Um, I was training under Hobson Mora. Yeah. Like, you know, um Yeah, Daniel Tavares. I mean, he would he was still competing. Like, I mean, he was still going away and then his I forget the other guy's name. He had three other guys. Um man, I can't remember one guy's name. He was a Russian guy who would come in. But anyway, uh yeah, a ton of places you can go and train. Yeah, ton, I mean a ton of places. like you as long as you're doing something, you know, and I get it. It's not I'm lucky. My my kids are older now. You yeah. Know? And my wife is very forgiving. Like she is I think she's stopped arguing with me about all the all my good idea stuff. She joined the club. Like, my wife's the same way. Yeah, she, I'm sure with it with your <laughs> podcast stuff, you're much probably like, "What are you doing? Yeah. You're adding another thing to your arsenal." <laughs> and um, you know, so uh, like today, I said, "Hey, I'm going to go box with Scott Kleckner." She's like, "Okay, what what time are you coming home? <laughs> you know, why are you boxing? You're 45 years old." Um, but like uh, jujitsu, I'm going like six days a week. Like she doesn't even like she just doesn't even argue with me about. It. She knows that if I don't do it, like it's it's like, like it is my ment. It is my it is my therapy. Absolutely, this is my therapy. And, my, and therapy for, for people, and I know you agree with me. It could be a lot of different things. You know, it could be just going to the gym and working out. It could be running. It could be cycling. It could be whatever whatever you want. But like, 
jujitsu to me is my therapy. You know, when I walk out there, I feel I am so glad I went. Like I've never, I've never left jujitsu. I never get in the car and I'm not hitting like 95 north. You know, thinking like I shouldn't have went today. Yeah. You know, what's your goal with jujitsu? Man, I'm gonna go to the wheels fall off, brother. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that like uh, eventually I would like to see. Uh, I, I mean, I'm kind of hoping that the government is going to start going more towards. If we are going to be changing things up, like I don't, even, I don't know what's going to go on, but you hear rumors like that the, the changes are going to be made, and I think some changes need to be made. Sure, you know, um, I don't think we do everything perfect in law enforcement right now, but if things are going to be, ch- if changes are going to be made, I'm hoping that they look at like the stuff that the Gracies have done uh, with their, with their, with their training they do with law enforcement. They're going full tilt with that right now. The Gracies, man, they're, they're all in. They are, pu- and I'll tell you, man, like I. I agree a lot with what they say, but then every once in a while, it's like, eh, it's a little like uh, they're, they're trying to sell me a car. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, there's some marketing going on. Like like where I train now, it's like, hey man, you're not a cop. Don't tell me how to be a cop. Yep. I'm going to show you jujitsu and you're going to apply it to um to to your SOPs and your state law. Absolutely. Everything will be fine. And now we're all, everybody's got a camera on them. So yep. if you're doing something wrong, you're going to get caught. You know, so hopefully... The government goes more towards like, you know, the jujitsu style of, uh, you know, self-defense, I guess you could there's say. Some, I mean, listen, there's some uh, pretty high up people in the criminal justice world now. They're saying like, hey, you need to be a blue belt, blue belt or above. You know what I mean? And I've always said the age thing, I think 25 and up. Yeah. You need to have some life experience. I, um, I agree with you on that. Yeah. I mean, I started young. I started when I was 21 yeah. and I was an idiot. You know what I mean? Like I was dumb. Dude, I hear you, man. I yeah. I. I that's why I say I, I was glad that I had a partner like Seth Polk. Yes. And I, I had an FTO like Jimmy Fitz. And um, God bless Mike McGowan. He was one of my first sergeants. I'm sure I get, I took years off his life. Yep. You know, and uh, Gary Worthy when I went in detectives, you know, um, you know, uh, th- those guys kept me in check, you know. Yeah. There's a couple rookies that we just started. We just have four guys start with our squad. Uh, the one guy who's working with us right now, he's 25, married with a kid, did construction before. And yeah. guess what? That kid is Rockstar, squared right? away. Rockstar. Yeah. Rockstar. Yeah. He probably two, knows two weeks in. How lucky he is to have this job. Yep. It's the greatest job in the world. I don't care yep. if you're doing white collar crime. Again, if I could stay in the drug unit the rest of my life and work with the guys I was working with, man, sign me up. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't. And it's a young man's game, too. You know? It is. Uh, it's a young man's game. Um, and I don't think my daughters would really want me like walking around looking the way I looked back then probably and not. bringing me to like, their junior prom, you know, yeah. like this is my dad where all the parents are like, did he just get out of Gander Hill yesterday? <laughs> you know, um, but I think, uh, yeah, they're older, they're more mature. And uh, I think you have more, like you said, life experience. You don't have to work. They're so, so lucky to have this job, to be able to go out there and, and the amount of authority you have and power you have and, uh, and the, your decision making can really affect someone's life, mm-hmm. you know, for good or for bad. I think it gives you purpose. Like I feel a sense of purpose when I go to work. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there, there's some like ramifications if I have a bad day. I can't have a bad day. I just no, choose not have to have a yeah. bad day. No, I, I. You know what I mean? Like I mean, look at those poor FBI agents that this ooh, guy killed. Yeah. Like, like these are like the people that like I'm working with now. Like I, all my cases are with the bureau for the most part because they get involved with anything is considered a public corruption, right? Or if it's a million dollars or more in fraud. So. It's very rare you'll find a government contract that's not a million dollars. It's very, very, especially in the Department of Defense. It's very rare. Yep. Um, 
So I work with these people. I mean, they're like the smartest human beings on earth, in my opinion, you know, and they are, they are talented and their, their hiring process, in my opinion, they've got, they've got it nailed. They hire great people. And I've worked with nothing but amazing uh, bureau agents. Uh, they're, they're, they're amazing people. And they, and, and they check all the boxes when it comes to planning for stuff. And the fact that you hear these, these, these two, two agents were just killed. It's like, you never know, man. Like you, you just, you just never know. No, sometimes it's just going to be a bad day. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes yeah. it's just going to be a bad day. Scary. Yeah, it's funny, man. That that FBI FBI thing kind of hit me because buddy of mine he used to work with the county. Now he's with the FBI. Uh, you never used to hear that. No, never used to hear about FBI guys getting you know something like tragic like that happening. It's uh, I I guess some people are emboldened. You know, yeah, that people are more people are emboldened now to push back. Push yeah. back on on law enforcement. Yeah, that's true. It's scary. I want to get back to jujitsu again. Yeah. Uh, you're a blue belt now. I am. I'm a three stripe. You just got your third stripe. I got my third stripe. Yeah, I'm feeling like I'm like a I'm like a little kid. I get the stripe. I like come home. <laughs> I'm taking pictures of it. Put it on social media. You know, my wife is like making me my favorite dinner because yeah. I'm one step closer to that. You know. But again, the goal the goal is to do it to the wheels fall off. Like right. I, I want to be like the 70 year old guy in the gym that they're telling, please don't roll hard with Brian because he's <laughs> 70 years old. You know, but like I want to, I want to do it because again, it's my therapy, man. I lo- I love every second, of it. I learn something new every day. Yeah, yeah. Now, does Riverfront do something where I don't know this for a yeah. fact, but do they do something on Wednesdays where? Yeah, so Wednesday morning from zero seven to about zero eight, uh, the any anyone who's been in the military, anyone who's in the military, past, present, um, past or present, not future, past <laughs> or present, um, and anyone who's a, a first responder, you could be a fireman. A uh, paramedic, a, a cop, obviously. Um, training is free. You know, you come in, you train for free. Um, you just like sign your little waiver, excuse me, and you can um, and you can train. We've had in some classes we go in there, there's like twenty people. Yeah. Other classes you go in there, there's like three. Yeah, I'm gonna slide by there because I, I did not know that. Um, there's a girl that I work with. She just told me about it not too long ago. Yeah, I train with quite a bit of. Uh, there's been quite a bit of county people there, yeah. and quite a bit of Wilmington people there as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's and it's good because the the county people I'm seeing in there are the younger officers, and I think that like we were told about this before, but I feel like sometimes we get spoiled, right? So I look at the county's academy and what and what and what the county the product the county is putting together in that academy is phenomenal. Yep. You know, you get these recruits that are getting tactical training that you might not get somewhere else. Um, uh, the, the instruction, the instructors, the instructors from when I was in there till to right now, I know who's still teaching like building procedures and the tactics and car stops are, are awesome cops. They're great cops. And those, those recruits are going to come out of the Academy ready to do their job safely. And, and, you know, and within accordance to the law, but um, you know, you get, you go through this great Academy and then the Academy's over and then it stops, Yep. you know, and you're like, Hey man, like I need to be still training, you know? And I think that a lot, sometimes we get spoiled where you expect like, Oh, the County's not sending me the training right now or, or whoever like DOD's not se- DOD's not paying for me to go to jujitsu. Well, dude, it's on me. And my opinion, a lot of people don't like this, but it's my, if you are in law enforcement, it is your duty to continue to make yourself a better cop agent, whatever the heck you are, MP, whatever you are at the time, um, make yourself better for that job it's it's investing in yourself you're a professional you know? the same way like if if you're not a good report writer and i'm not saying i'm the best report writer but i can i feel like i can write a good report for 20 something years but in the beginning i probably wrote terrible yeah you know um i started looking at i was very fortunate with when i worked with joe zerba uh, in detectives yeah 
Joe Zerba was, in my opinion, um, the most organized detective I've ever worked. There's nobody that has ever been in detectives during the time when Joe Zerba was there that will say that Zerba was a, an unorganized guy or not a methodical guy. I would say, hey, Joe, do you have a uh, search warrant for DNA? Sure. Uh, what, what's, what's the scenario behind it? And he'd pull out an example and give it to you. And I would read how Joe would write. And I would just literally try to write like Joe. Yeah. You know, and um like him and Mary Devine sat next to each other and they would kind of laugh at me because I was like bothering Joe every day for examples <laughs> of how he wrote so I could learn how to write. So same way like you would improve, you, you improve yourself as a detective, learning how to write search warrants and learning how to do the job of being an investigator. And the same thing is, as you should be going out and finding training that's going to make you more tactically proficient. Um, training in jujitsu. And if you only come one day a week to a free class, and I'm sure there's a bunch of free classes in Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um I just, I just trained at the one spot in, at the riverfront. But, um, you know, you find yourself, same way you do it. There's also other things you can do, like the Northeast Counter, um, Counter Drug Training Program, right? It's at 14 Town Gap. Have you ever heard of them before? Mm-hmm. Free training, dude. Free training that has certificates attached to it. You want to be a drug cop? Go to drug recognition school on your days off. At 14 Town Gap, when Corona is over, knock yep. on wood, hopefully it's soon. Get your, get your shots. Yep. And then uh, go there and get these certificates and you can get it. Then when you go for your interview to the drug unit, or uh, if you want to become a detective, they have interview schools, stuff like that. It's all free. Yeah. And they give you money to eat, you know? Um, but I think, you're, I think you're nailing something in the sense of like, well, I know plenty of people who are like, wow, the county's not sending me this boo-hoo. Wow, yeah. wow. Like, well, you could help yourself out and, and there's go plenty of options. Time. And don't you think that will look great? Absolutely. Dude. Uh, you know, if you're interviewing for a position or you're trying to become a supervisor, whatever the case may be, that, you know, you're so passionate about your profession that you're willing to go outside and make yourself better. Well, uh, like, I, I don't know if it's still the same way, but I, I knew that the officers that wanted to be canine. Volunteer their time. They would go down there and canine They training still do. And get, wear the suit and get bit and tackled by those, those dogs. Listen, I had no interest in being the bite dummy right. for, for canine dogs, right? I've but, never done that, actually. I've never been bit. But the guys that do it, you know, same thing with the horses. You want to be you want to be a mountain patrol? Hey, go down to the carousel on your time off. Put the time in. You want to be a detective? Go find training. Because you know what? Maybe you're not going to get the next slot at a Reed school. Yeah. Instead of complaining about it, go find another school on your own. Get it done so you could say, yeah, well, I didn't get picked this time to go to the Reed school. But here I went and got this. I went on my own and got this school. It shows that you really do care about your job because I don't care. Like, you know, if you're in any profession, you need to continuously improve yourself. Law enforcement's no different. As a matter of fact, now, even more now with all the amount of oversight that is going on cops in this day and age, you need to be constantly improving yourself. Your shit needs to be together. Absolutely. You got to be squared away. Absolutely. You could be on the front page of the paper in all over the country Mm -hmm. in in a second. And it go back, went back to report writing real quick because that the, being able to articulate what it is you're doing, uh, I'm a really you can ask anybody that works on, underneath me now. Like I'm a very, I'm a big stickler on report. I writing. imagine you're getting your doctorate right now. So I am, I am. But yeah, yeah, so grammatically, yes, I yeah. do want your your shit to be together. But um, I always tell them like you're gonna thank me one day because yeah. you know all these reports you're doing. Like you need to be able to articulate exactly what it is you're doing, um, especially for when you get on the stand. Because I can tell you, I've had, I've had, I had a case specifically on the stand where um, I annotated something being in a certain pocket, and another officer who was on the opposite side facing me annotated it being, and I had pulled it out of the other pocket. But just because I was yep. the way we were direction, 
And that was like 75% of the trial. Yep. I was talking about what pocket did it come out of? Listen, best thing that could ever happen to me, I had a, uh, it was just a prelim. It wasn't even a trial. And I got destroyed and it was embarrassing. And I felt like an idiot up on that stand. Best thing that could have ever happened to me. Right. And I think for some people, you know, that does need to happen because when that, I forget what the circumstances were. Um, I basically just didn't interview a witness that I should have or something like that. I can't remember, but uh, I felt like a real big idiot. Right. And I was like, well, I'm never going to do this again. Right, right. Uh, and I've had homicide trials since then. And, you know, it's just th- those little things that come up. You're right. 75% of a trial will be over the dumbest oh, thing you can possibly imagine. A- anything they can focus on. You but know, you do that in front of a jury yeah. and anything that can raise doubt, like, they're going to do it. Yeah, no absolutely. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to not talk about leadership with you at some point mm-hmm. um current rank captain yeah i'm a captain in the guard yeah leading up the chain of command yes uh you and i've talked about that a little bit uh off air and just like in, in these last few weeks uh what are your thoughts on that oh i love it i've been doing it my whole life yeah, yeah i've been doing it my whole life and i think that uh if you have a a, a strong enough leader you know um They'll recognize that what you're doing is is for the best of the organization, right? So what you're doing right now, there's some officer who's never going to tell you that he's listening to this podcast, who's listening to it and learning stuff, and is probably going to say, you know what, I'm going to Google Northeast Counter Drug Training Program, Absolutely. and I'm going to go to this school. Or you know what, you're talking about like with Gen Boy Low with with the, with the stress stuff. Uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna follow up with that. You know what I mean? Or Kevin Green, you know, talking about jujitsu, or I'm talking about jujitsu. So I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to try it out. Maybe that'll save their life one day. Yeah. You know, I think once they realize that what you're doing, like you're doing right now with with this, if they if they um, if you come to your supervisor with 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 something that you're being genuinely honest about that is going to improve your organization, um, and they and and as long as you keep them in the loop, I, I found that that is, and for the military, for me personally, I felt that if I always kept my my supervisors in the loop with what I was doing, usually they were cool with everything I wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Um. It's only you only run into the problem when you're trying to lead up the chain of command when you're keeping stuff from your leader because you don't want yeah. you don't want your leader to say, um, "Well, I didn't know he was doing that," you know, right. and, and then it, it makes them look bad. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, uh, what do you, what are some things that you think the military does really? Just because in my, in my conversation with Kevin Green, he was hitting on some points. I was like, "Man, that's like, you know, I kind of wish we did that." What do you? What are some things you think? In your experience, the military does really, really well when it comes to like leadership or things that you've learned. So uh, I know we're both fans of Jocko Willink. Absolutely, so the, the guy's my church. You know, I'm Catholic, but you know, like I listen to the guy religiously. Yeah. Right? So uh, he just did one on the Marine Corps manual on like squad leaders, like how important the squad leaders are. And I've always preached um, as a company commander and and as a, an executive officer that the most important person in an MP company is a team leader and a squad leader right your first line supervisors right cuz they can you can be the worst commander in the world right you could be absolutely terrible and you could be terrible at planning training and your operations section could totally stink and not provide these guys with good training but if you're a squad leader and you're a good team leader team leader works for squad leader you know and you're putting on good training for your squad anyway say look these guys aren't doing you can still keep morale high yeah. Right. It's that in it's that first line supervisor. And it's the same thing with law enforcement, right? It's that sergeant. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we really put a lot of responsibility in our our younger NCOs, right? Like our, our E5s and E6s. They have a ton of responsibility. And they really do, they can they can make or break a company. Yeah. You know, 
Um, so yeah, like so, like the military is is does a very good job in with training um, our younger NCOs in responsibility. I could tell you though, also it can be you know if an officer, if I was the type of detaching, detaching, right? So like, I trust my platoon sergeants that they're going to give their my intent is going to be is going to be uh, passed down to the squad leaders and the team leaders in the platoon. And they know what I want them to do. And what yeah. I want them to do is I want them training. Coronavirus, thank you very much for ruining like 99% of my plans. Right. Um, but when we do have time together and we are training, you know, which which we do, um, they know I, I don't want them sitting around the drill hall. We have, it's supposed to be two weeks, uh, it's supposed to be a weekend, a month and, and two weeks in the summer. I, I can't tell you the last time it was that, right? It's really much more than that. Yeah. Um, I want them training, you know, and I, and I want them, I want them actively involved. Uh, I want, um, I want my 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 team leaders to find their E fours who are uh, and their squad leaders to find their E fours who get ready to make E five who are who are our future leaders, and I want them putting responsibility on them, right? It's like you got you might have a corporal out here on your shift who's a rock star. Who just for whatever reason he didn't want to test for sergeant, you know? But, yeah. but hey, he's the best accident investigation guy you got. Well, that dude should be teaching everybody on that squad how to investigate accidents. Yep. So everybody's up to his level. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or like you got a SWAT guy, a SWAT guy on your on your on your squad. You know what I mean? He should be teaching anybody when you got downtime, whatever. Hey, go over active shooter stuff, or go over just room clearing, or you know low light techniques, what, whatever. You know, you, um, we're really good at we're really good at letting our junior leaders keep the pulse of the company moving forward. I think we've, we've done, we've, we do a good job of that, but that only really matters if your officers and your, and your senior NCOs are allowing them to do that. If you're one of these people who's like crushing oversight on everything they're doing, like you see them doing something going on. I want to do it that way. I would do it this way. Well, Hey man, like, you know, like back off, let them develop themselves, let them, let them figure it out. And uh, let them grow, and then when they're in your spot one day, they're gonna be doing the same thing you're gonna be doing. Mm-hmm. I'm a 45 year old captain. I'm like 18 years older than most other captains. To be honest with you, yeah. you know. And I have lieutenants who are like 22 years old. I have a lieutenant right now who just turned 21. Wow! Right? Who just turned 21? Um, I I put a ton of responsibility on them. Sure. I t- I tell them, hey, you're you're plan- you're gonna. No, I'll give them guidance. Right, I tell them, hey, you're going to write operations order for this training, right? And uh, then you're going to you're going to brief me on it, and I'm going to and I'm going to ask you a million questions on it. I want overlays. I want everything you give me. I'm I'm going to I put a ton of responsibility on them for when one day when they're in my spot, they'll be able to teach their lieutenants the same thing. But he probably loves that. Whoever this lieutenant is, I mean, it, it, the rock stars. I I've, I've rock stars. I, yeah. I'm the luck. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I have I have. Again, I, I am extremely, extremely biased about the 153rd Military Police Company. Extremely biased. Like Delaware should be extremely proud of the best unit in Delaware, which is the 153rd Military Police Company. About their the leadership from that from that company. I have the easiest job in the world because I have the best first sergeant. I have the best platoon sergeants. All of them have time deployed overseas, some multiple deployments. Um, training wise, my operations sergeant, he's the smartest guy in the room. Mm. He is twice as smart as i'll ever be right guess what that's why it's my operations sergeant yeah because i know if i put him in that position he makes me look good i look great 
I just got to make sure I get the right people in the right spot. And I look great. They don't need me over their shoulder saying, why are you doing this? Now, if something's being done unsafely or something's being done um, like outside of regulations or something that I would get in tr- we would all get in trouble for, I'm, I'm going to stop that immediately. Right? Yeah. But um, I don't need to worry about it because I got professionals. Yep. And the young lieutenants, they're being mentored by their senior NCOs and uh, we're putting a, a a ton of responsibility on them. So when it comes time for them to be in the um, leadership position, they'll be good to go. I have an XO right now um, who's going, who's, who I could say will be a better, a better commander than I am. She is twice as smart as me. Uh, and at the same time, I think she sees how I operate. You know I mean? I, I, I give the responsibility to platoon sergeants. I give out my intent and that, that's what commanders should be doing. They don't need a bunch of crushing oversight. That takes confidence though. It really does. Yeah, I think, well, I'll tell you what, another thing is, uh, we just about leading up the chain of command. Another thing that we need to be doing as as bosses, right, as a, as a supervisor at the guard or supervisor at the county, you need to be selling your people, uh, right? Absolutely. Because nobody wants to hear how great Brian Grant is. Nope. Like, nobody, nobody cares. Like, I'm the company commander. Like, you're already the guy for the company. I need to be telling you about how I have a um, an E4 who ran the ranges for AT this year. And she did an amazing job. And she was the first female in God knows how long to do it. And she implemented some new training. Like uh, my operations NCO, you know, the guy is, he, he's the smartest guy in the room. You know what I mean? I need to be talking about what a great job he does. Yeah. My lieutenants, when they write operations orders and I send them up my chain of command to say, hey, we're going to do this training. Here's our operations order saying why we need to do this training. Um I said up there. I, don't, I make sure that they know that Brian Grant didn't write that operation order. Mm-hmm. That lieutenant wrote the operation order. You know what I mean? It's like, I look good anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're doing a great job. You yeah. have to you have to sell your people to your boss. So I I don't know if you got that advice from somebody, but I got that advice early on when I got promoted to sergeant. Some they, this person based told me like, hey, your time's over. It's not about you anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like just put people in the right positions and and just bolster your people. And I have yeah. fun doing. Like I'll be yeah. honest, like I enjoy doing that. Take yeah. the pressure off of me. Like I love selling other people. Well, if you're selling your guys on this, let's face it, dude. Like you could take a county police officer, put him or her anywhere in the world, and they're gonna be they're gonna do a great job all the time. The amount of responsibility, just investigative wise, mm-hmm. that a county cop handles, and Delaware State Police too. I mean, I'm, I'm and Wilmington. I'm not saying anything different about. That. I'm just going from what I know from experience. Yeah, you know. Being able to write a search warrant as a as a police officer on the street is like unheard of most places. Dude, our guys are doing that on the regular. On the regular. On the regular, man. Three months on, they're writing search warrants. It's amazing. It's a, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, uh, this selling your selling your people, and once they realize that, like, hey, you know what, I'm going to do this for Captain Grant, and he's not going to take the credit for it. He's going to make sure everyone knows that I did this. Um. They're going to want to do a better job for you next time. Oh, yeah. And they're going to want to do more stuff. And then they're going to bring you more ideas. And next thing you know, people in the company realize that, like, hey, I'm an, e- I'm, I'm, I'm an E5, but I put this tra- training together and I got an award for it. At least I got an attaboy out of it. And everybody at the chain of command knows I was involved in it. Um, You know, that's where loyalty comes in because they know you're doing stuff from the right from the right part of your heart. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you learn that from somebody? Like where did this uh, come from? <laughs> so, uh, I said, I, you know, my first, the provost marshal on Fort Dix was a guy named Charlie Smith. He was a lieutenant 
um, in charge of the gaming the gaming unit for New Jersey State Police. And then 9-11 happened and we're all four, four decks together. Yeah. Um, Charlie never took credit for anything, you know, and he was always selling his people, you know, and, I, and I'm a direct, uh, I was a direct result of it. Like he, like, you know, Charlie would bring me to interviews that I probably shouldn't even been in, you know, um, he let me do whatever I wanted to do as long as I kept him in the loop. Yeah. You know, like, hey, uh, sir, I'm going to call the NYPD and tell them I want them to train us. He's like, he's like, oh, if you pull that off, that'll be awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it worked. And I got, a, I got awards out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, pretty much from, from watching him, you know, I, I, I got, and you know, Gary Worthy was the same way too. You know, I, I'd say the same, Gary Worthy was an MP as well. Just want to point that out oh, as well, okay. right? So uh, and so was Margell Wine as well. So um and Eric Roberts, but uh so uh you look at like traits of a leader, and and this is one of the reasons why I listen to Jocko. Like Jocko was a Navy SEAL, right? Tip of the spear. I am not a Navy SEAL. I don't even know what it would be like to be a Navy SEAL. Right. But a lot of the things that he talks about when it comes to leadership, I'm like, okay, I'm right on that. I I, I know I'm right on that because stuff he says it just like confirms it mm-hmm. you know selling your people like don't be humble you know he talks about jiu-jitsu i'm like thank god i'm doing jiu-jitsu because if not all i would want to do would be do jiu-jitsu because yep. that's all he talks about and mm-hmm. when he talks about jiu-jitsu in life it's 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 like parallel to life i, I just like as i was saying like I, I think that like from listening to jocko and and saying like you know a lot of the things that i say and do he confirms them for me, especially with the squad leader episode, I was reading. I was like, "God damn it, I'm right. I was right." The squad leader is the most important person because here's Jocko putting out on, on his podcast that the, the squad leader is a super important person in the Marine Corps saying it, so the Marine Corps must be right, you know. Yeah. Um, and from work, you see all these guys; they all have very similar traits. Man, they're all humble. I I've had the opportunity as a bagpiper. I, I played the bagpipes for the Philadelphia Police and Fire Pipes and Drums, right? And I got into that band because. I was assigned to Army CID out of Philadelphia, and they're allowed to have 10% of the band is allowed to be outside agencies, right? Okay. So, hey man, I, I met the guy, one of the guys in the band. I got in the band, I've been there for like, for 10 years now, right? Um, and I, I could, I've had opportunity to uh, play for several Medal of Honor recipients, right? Um, Particularly uh, two gentlemen who I've met several times because they come to Philly all the time. They just love Philly because I think when they come here, they get tr- the Philly cops treat them like rock stars. Mike Thornton and uh, Woody Williams. The Woody Williams was the individual who flipped the coin at the Eagles Super Bowl. Oh, okay. Little guy, uh, probably about five foot four, Iwo Jima with a flamethrower. The fact that the guy's alive is amazing. Sweetest, sweetest guy you'd ever met in your entire life. Absolute savage. Um, him and Mike Thornton. Mike Thornton was a Navy SEAL. He's like the Navy SEALs hero, right? Mm. Um, I've been around them several times. They're the most humble people in the world. You would never know that they are like American treasures. You know, super humble. Well, he asked me, hey, how's your job? Hey, you do anything dangerous? Like, like you you were on Iwo Jima. Yeah. And you're asking me about my job? Right. You know, like this, I just want to hear, I want to hear you just talk about the weather. Yeah. You know, um, Mike Thornton, like the guy was, shot several times and swam two injured seals back out to sea to, to a Navy vessel to, to save their lives, you know, while he was shot, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm around this guy and they're, they're talking to me about my family. They're the most, most humble people in the world. It seems like all the leaders who have, who, who really are able to influence someone positively 
all have the same traits. It doesn't matter what profession it is. It could be firefighting. It could be policing. It could be the military. They're all very similar. And that's the ability to be humble. Yeah. No, I think you nailed that. That's a common theme that I've noticed too. People who actually have their shit together and people who actually know what they're doing are very humble. Absolutely. It's the people who are kind of over the top and kind of trying to show, hey, look what I'm doing. It's like, well, I'm going to take a look at this guy. Like, what's he, like, what ulterior motive has he got going on here? Well, I think a lot of times men have a hole in their soul. Yeah. Right? And I, I hate to say, but it's like kind of like they see, maybe someone sees you getting your doctorate and they're like, what's he getting his doctorate for? Yeah. You know? That's well, true. Yeah. He doesn't need his doctorate. You know, we go, I'm doctor now. It's like, hey, man, you're just being jealous, bro. Big point of contention there, call me doctor or not, by yeah, the way. Yeah, you're just being jealous. <laughs> you're just being jealous, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm a 45-year-old guy doing jiu-jitsu. You know, someone's like saying, what's he doing jiu-jitsu for? Well, because if he doesn't do jiu-jitsu, he's probably going to lose his mind. <laughs> right. Because it keeps him sane. You know, and he likes hanging out with, you know, I like the fact that I can roll with a 22-year-old guy yeah. who's bigger and stronger than me, and I can control him. Because you know what? I still got it. Yeah. I still got it, bro. You Absolutely. know what I mean? I still, it keeps you alive, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, being, being humble is, and, and then I get humbled. Is then some of them will just completely annihilate me. Well, jujitsu is the ultimate being humbled. Completely. Over Absolutely. and over and over again. Yeah. Over and, there's a thing I call uh, the, my, the black belt who teaches me, Billy, Billy Shaw. He, um, he does this thing where he'll like, he'll roll with me, but he won't, he won't, um, completely destroy me and i'm sure yeah. kevin green does this with his guys too mm -hmm. but every once in a while he just lets me know that like he could kill me uh. like, very easily you know <laughs> and i'm just basically drowning for five minutes yeah underneath him yeah you know um that that humble feeling though you really and i say that in it but you really won't ever experience it until you do jujitsu completely because i used to be very confident and that yeah, yeah. jujitsu and i was like okay well there's this thing out here that people yeah. can do there's people among us there's people among us who could suffocate you and suffocate you easily. Yeah. Easily. And guess what? You might not be even be able to get to your gun no. or, your or your baton. I roll with a kid. Um, he's not a kid. He's always well, a kid to me. He's like 25. He's a, uh, he's a material scientist at DuPont. He's absolutely, he would, he would murder, murder me. Oh, like, yeah. you know, he's just, the nicest guy ever. If you saw him on the street, unless you saw his color flowered ear, mm -hmm. you'd be like, ah, this guy, no problem. Yeah. I'm just going to put him in cuffs and take it. Mm -hmm. No, if he doesn't want to go, Pat's probably going to take your shirt off yep. and uh, put your put your under, we'll give you a wedgie and put your underwear strap around your throat. If you even look at some of like the uh, jujitsu savages out there, like just look at a guy, uh, Eddie Bravo may not be a good example, but there's some like just true savages out there. They just look like nerds. Completely. 130, yeah. 140 pounds. Scrawny. There's a guy named John John we roll with. He is probably five foot five, long curly hair. He looks like Gizmo before they became <laughs> the Gremlins. He, he he's he's maybe 120 pounds. It's like Hobson. Like, you know, yeah. you would see him and be like, uh, oh, no problem. No, he's going to murder you. Yep. Like he you're not you're not going to control him. Mm -hmm. Good luck trying to control them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think you need to. I remember it. Uh, so Daniel Tavares' gym, they were huge on competing. Yeah. So that gym was a bunch of savages, man. Just like all the dudes in their high-level competition from blue belt, purple belt, brown, all the way up. Um, I was bigger than all of them. Like, not even close. Right, right. I mean, I'm not I'm not huge. I'm six foot, 200 pounds, somewhere around there. But right, all these right. guys are, you know, 160 pounds. Right, right. Or yeah. whatever. And it's just, 
Yeah, if you haven't tried jujitsu, I got like there's no other way to explain unless you've done it. Um, especially for law enforcement, I think you need to yeah. be humble because you need to know that's that's a possibility. It's a possibility out there. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. Um, well, the first thing you're going to learn is look at people's ears. You know, that dude's got chewed up bubble gum <laughs> for his ears. You might want to back up a little bit. Yeah. You know. Well, you just look at Kevin Green. He's got a sleeve and he's got his ears are all chewed up. Yeah, it's Kevin, like, well, Kevin Green, like you know. Like he's out there. There's guys out there like that. You know, know what I mean? And all of them aren't nice. Yeah. And all of them aren't as nice as Kevin is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting world we live in. And, th- and thank God most of the people that do jujitsu and do MMA and stuff like that and all, they are in, in outside of the cage or outside of the mat and competition. They're really super nice guys because, Absolutely. again, you're continuously being humbled. And then you already have a thing in your, in your mind like, you're meeting a stranger. You have no idea who that guy is. Mm-hmm. He could be, you know, hasn't worked out since high school. Yeah. Or he could just be like a guy with a beer belly. Who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu who's going to like take his beer belly and smother you with it? Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And enjoy doing it. Yes, absolutely. What's something you want people to take away from our conversation today in the sense of, I mean, we cover a lot of topics, but, you know, I think you're you're just really spot on with the leadership stuff. I mean, it, it, what's something you want people to take away? Well, if you are in a leadership role, right, you should be encouraging your people to do better, right? And, and supporting them in their process to do better and giving them opportunities to showcase themselves, right? So um, I, have a lot, I have a lot of young soldiers that have a lot of talents, you know? And uh, I, have very few, I have very little time for them to showcase their talents. But if what time I do, we have to give them the ability to show the, to show the guard that they are special and they do have special talents. It's the same thing with law enforcement. It's like, hey man, there's nothing wrong with you being a supervisor and having someone who works for you knowing more about something than you do. And that's great and that's just fine. It makes you, you, you can learn you can learn from them. At the same time, you better be selling them up the chain of command so people will see them. You never know who you're gonna work for one day. Yeah, That guy who works for you today, one day might be your boss, yep. you know? Um, that's a crucial confidence thing, though, because just being in a supervisory role, it's okay for somebody else to know more than you about something. Completely. That's fine, and, it, it, yeah. it, and I I prefer that to be honest with you, because I don't I don't need to know everything. Right, I just need to know what you're really good at, so I can just plug and play and go put you in that position to go do it. Like if I have to know everything, I just don't have enough time. Like I just I, can't I call do myself it. a talent scout. I, I really do. I say I'm a talent scout. I I, I look out amongst. On a weekend, I'll probably have like 120 to 130 people there, right? So um, when you first start taking over, you're like, who here is going to make this enjoyable for everyone? While we're also meeting our commander's intent of, um, we really call it missing essential task list. So like, you know, our metal training, you know, um, who can I find in here that's going to be going to be a, a great instructor and it is professional enough to put together professional training so that my sol- the younger soldiers here are going to walk out of there thinking, thank God I joined the guard. Thank God, thank God, thank God I am here. Because yeah. I, I am special. I, I am doing something special. Um, that's one of the reasons that the combatives team is formed up. It's like, hey, man, you are special. You're, yeah. you're now wearing that Delaware National Guard rash guard, and you're walking out on that mat representing the guard. You know, win or lose, you're a winner, dude. Yeah. You know, Um there's an identity in that. It's like having a sense of identity for well, sure. I mean, like, we all grow up. It's like, oh, my grandpa fought for the Marine Corps. And you're like, that's the coolest thing ever. Well, like now some of these guys can say, oh, yeah, I did jujitsu for the for the National Guard. Like, that's totally awesome, man. It is. Sure me doing it. You know, um, so yeah, selling your people, giving your people opportunities. And also for, for that individual, 
hey, man, if you're going to wait around for someone to give you the training and give you the opportunities, you ain't going to get them. Mm-hmm. You got to go out there and find them. Yep. You know, if it's showing up to a Wednesday morning class and training with us, uh, good for you. Or if it's you going over to Kevin Green's place and saying, hey, man, I loved, I love what you said in the podcast. I want to come train, you know, or going down the, if you're living in Newark, go down to Newark, there's plenty of places down there. Um, you know, or if you go to the counter drug, look at your schedule. I get it. We all have families. We all have kids. You say one, one, t- one day off a year, I'm going to go get some training. If it's once a year, you know, 10 years goes by, you got 10 certificates that the rest of the guys in your squad don't have. So when you put in for CIU saying, this is what I did on my own time. I got these 10 trainings. I did them on my own time. This is one question they always ask you in every interview I've ever had is, what have you done to prepare yourself for this position? Absolutely. You know, if you just say, well, hey, I'm a, I'm a nice guy and I show up to work every day, you ain't getting the job. Yeah. You ain't getting the position. Nope. You know? So it's set yourself sick. up for success, man. It's funny you say it because we, uh, we just had our lieutenants and sergeants test this past weekend. So now yet we have the or awards coming up and guess what they're probably going to ask? What Absolutely. You, what have you done to prepare yourself for what this are position? You, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, you're getting your doctorate. You're yeah. running a podcast. Right. You know, you're motivating people to take care of their stress and recognize. Like, again, jujitsu for me, it's so hard. The hardest thing about doing jujitsu or doing anything that's going to be, or going to the gym or whatever, I think is walking through the door. And once you go in there and you're like, all right, these guys aren't that bad. No the, dude, it's here. terrifying. The it's first terrifying. Time, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. It really is. But you know what? It shouldn't be because once you get in there, you're like, oh, so like me, like, uh, yeah, I'm a blue belt. I kind of know what I'm doing, but like if a new white belt comes in, like I'm not going to be, I'm going to let them roll on me. I'm going to let them try, try their stuff out. Whatever you just learned in class, come try it on me, dude. Like I don't need to choke out a white belt. Right. You know, I can choke out white belts. Sure. I know I can do it. I don't need to do it to make myself feel good. You know, um, I want to go after the guy that's equivalent to me to make sure I'm, uh, I am improving and stuff like that. And okay. Uh, when I'm, when I'm learning is working, you know, so, uh, just walking through that door and once you get in there, you realize, Oh, everybody here's super cool. They're all like great friends. Like, yeah. like my one training partner, a guy named Tom, um, he's a paramedic. Like we go a hundred percent out of, you know what? Tom would never intentionally hurt me mm-hmm. and I would never intentionally hurt Tom. Uh, we're there to improve each other, and I love when he's there because I'm like, I know when Tom's here, I'm going to walk out of here, I'm going I'm to be better than I was when I walked through that door. I want you to realize everybody's there just to help each other. It's so much easier to come back the next time, you know, and then you just immediately fit in. Yep. You, yeah. Two great things about jiu-jitsu. Number one, you can go 100%. Yeah. Uh, very, I don't know of any other martial art where that, where that applies. Number two, uh, you want to roll with the most, like a brown belt or a black belt, cool, man, let's go roll. If right. I'm a white belt, because like, I'm, I could just do whatever. They're right. they're, they're going to control the situation. Sure, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, that's that's the best thing in the world. Yeah, I yeah. agree completely. Yeah, I mean, if you're experienced blue belt, which I guess I can kind of say I'm experienced blue Absolutely. belt. Absolutely, you know? three uh, stripes. Yeah, 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 hey man, I'm I, I, I'm <laughs> hanging in there. You know, um, you know, you should bring the white belts that come in, the new people that come in, even even on Wednesday morning when we, we do no gi on Wednesday morning yep. because you're not going to be wearing a gi when you go out on the road, right? Yeah. Or if you're a paramedic or or if you're a soldier. Um, you know, new people are there. We usually will bring them off to the side, and they'll be with an experienced person, and we'll just like make them feel comfortable, make them feel welcome. You know, especially females. Like, hey, I got two daughters, man. Like, if they decide to do jujitsu one day, and they will, yep, they will definitely will when they're done with their swimming career. Um, you know, I want them to feel comfortable. You know, I don't want them to think like, 
this is creepy rolling around with a, some strange guy. It's completely not like that yeah. whatsoever. Um, and I'm sure the other female officers that come and train with us will, will say that as well. Like, um, we're just there to get each other better. Um, and we don't put up with it. And I think that's the way it is in most schools. I, I don't think there's a school in Delaware where there's a problem with that. I'm saying like there are, you hear like nightmare stories about creepy guys and stuff like that all but not in our place nowhere i think no i think any gym that i've ever been a part of that gets handled i've I've never seen that but i mean that like any cancerous attitudes in there that gets handled immediately immediately there's one one person who's not there anymore ever um who was like maybe liked violence a little bit too much was like told like don't come back yeah Um, right yeah but uh hey man listen we all got jobs we all have to be at work the next morning yeah. or or some of these guys work shift work at nighttime. We're not looking we're not looking to hurt anybody. Nope. We're just looking to make sure that God forbid you go out on the street and someone starts fighting with you, you end up on the ground. You'll be able to handle him without being brutal and uh get the cuffs on him and then everything will be said and done and you'll be like, Holy crap, that Camorra thing does work. Yeah. That Americana does work. Oh, I know I, I know what it feels like to be Controlling someone for, with a with a neon belly to get their arm to scoop it and put them in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the ultimate goal. So yeah, it's like no, you don't want to go to the ground. But if we do go to the ground, I'm not going to freak the hell out. Absolutely, going to have a little bit of sense of confidence. Completely. Yeah, Brian Grant, this was awesome, man. I I, I enjoyed it. I, hope I don't I, know if you know. I wrote down some notes here. Like this is why I wanted to have you on because you you spoke some words of wisdom that I really took some things away from this. Well, I I, I appreciate it. Hopefully, my um. I still talk like I'm from Philadelphia, so I hope I didn't like ramble on too much during, no. during this whole thing. But uh, yeah, I think it's great what you're doing. I think uh, this is like life changing stuff for some people. You're never going to even know what happens, dude. You know, I've had I've had two people who went to MATO, uh, DTOA, MATOA training who came back and said, "Hey, dude, I actually it actually saved my life." Yeah. I was like, "That's the greatest feeling Perfect. in the world to me." You know what I mean? And you might not even know it, but there's someone out there that's going to listen to something that you do. You might do 400 shows. Yeah. And if one person says, dude, you know, instead of eating a gun or becoming an alcoholic or getting involved in pills, I went and started, uh, I went to Jen Boileau and she helped me where I went over to Kevin Green or I came to that Wednesday class and it saved my life. That It's it's all worth it. Yep. That's the goal. And, yeah. and thank your wife that she allows you to do it. Yeah. She's yeah. a saint. Yeah. All right, brother. Let's end it there, man. Okay. Thank you. All right, buddy. All right. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for episode number six with Brian Grant. Really appreciate everybody tuning in. Like I said before, if you haven't already, go subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, ton of different platforms out there, just so you can stay up to date. Follow us on social media at the handbook LLH, which stands for Life, Leadership, and Health. A lot of great topics in this one, right? For all you leaders out there, stay humble. If you haven't started practicing jujitsu, give it a try. And remember, if you learn something, share something. Thank you.